Yeah, yeah. The world is so small till it ain't. Yeah, I'm building up a wall till it break. She hated when I call and it's late. I don't wanna keep you waiting. I hope I never keep you waiting. Yeah, I think I know it all, but I don't. Why you always at the mall when you're broke? Yeah, and I just wanna ball, maybe dunk, but I never been tall. Yeah, I might trip, I never fall. God knows I came close. Don't try this at home. I know I probably need to do better. Fuck whoever, keep my shit together. You never told me being rich was so lonely. Nobody know me. It is September 17th, 2018, and you are listening to Psychology is Dead, but you already knew that. This is, what, two years we've been doing the show now? Anyway. Yeah, almost almost to the date. Yeah. yeah. So I'm Quentin Moody. You heard his voice already. That's my usual co-conspirator, Brock Yonke. Word up. How are you today? I'm doing pretty good. It's a, it's a little hot out here, but, you know, like... Um, I'm doing fine, all things considered. Yeah, you have a desk fan like right over top of you right now. <laughs> it's not running, but yeah, it's it's right there. <laughs> um, and for the first time on Psychology is Dead, as I mentioned when we did our last episode, we'd be having a three-man panel. And joining us tonight is someone who used to work on a now-defunct website, but now works full-time or has been working full-time in sports as a commentator for various leagues and schools. Evan, the soccer guy, also known as Evan Weston. Evan, how are you? I'm doing well, man. It's uh, it's about 88 degrees and humid outside here in Florida, but my AC is working really well, and it's 68 degrees in here, so oh my God. I'm pretty did good. You have, did you have to throw it in Brock's face that the AC is working? Well, look, you know, he talked about his issues, <laughs> so I just wanted to clarify that I'm actually wearing long sleeves indoors right now. This is going to be a long night. <laughs> <laughs> and... We kept this topic under wraps. Uh, usually, mm. whenever we do Psychology is Dead, I wind up opening my big mouth, and sometimes the show won't come out as early as I wanted it to, or just might not. Just, just or might ever. Not, yeah, it just might not come to fruition <laughs> at all. Um, yeah. But seeing as how I think everything was in motion for a few months, and I felt really secure in the topic, I thought mm. it would be cool to keep it under wraps for a little bit. And the topic we'll be discussing today is one big Austrian man named Walter who's taken over the independent scenes um, in the United States and in Europe. I wouldn't say overnight because he's been a cornerstone of WXW for the last 10 years, which mm-hmm. we're going to talk about tonight. But something that really caught a lot of people off guard and his rapid ascent is really what led to this podcast uh, happening tonight. Now, before we get to anything Walter-related, I think talking about Evan's fandom and where Evan comes in here is really important. So, Evan is a newer wrestling fan, and I'm not going to speak for him. I'm going to pass it off to him in a little bit. But his relationship with Walter is a lot of the impetus for this podcast. So, Evan, if you could get into, uh, I guess, your wrestling fandom... And what led you 
to the independent scene and eventually Walter becoming this big figure for you. Yeah, so like most people, I, I found wrestling at a, a fairly low time in my life, and it was sort of an outlet for me uh, as a fandom. But like also, like most people, I was only watching WWE um, for a little while, and I really liked it. Um, you know, it was a big, flashy product. It was fun. It was stupid, you know, and, and all that. And, and occasionally they would stumble on gold. Um, but uh, they have a propensity for, uh, for breaking people uh, a little bit when they invest and uh, I became a very big Roman Reigns fan. Ironically, the backlash to him led to a backlash in me, and uh, I, uh, I ended up really getting into the guy. And WrestleMania 34, of course, was supposed to be the moment. And, uh, you know, it's funny that we're recording this right after Brock Lesnar <laughs> destroyed him again last night at Hell in a Cell, because, uh, boy, they, they, just, they just will not go forwards or progress anything at all and I had just had enough and I had joined the slack when I was doing some stuff with wrestling with words and you know everyone you know obviously has as much broader tastes than just WWE so I decided why the heck not uh, I watched some of the GCW shows over many, uh, many weekend with everybody and when WrestleMania 34 happened I decided to just go full bore into it and instantly the guy that I found myself really attracted to was Walter um, I'll, we'll get into it, uh, as we go through here, but, uh, I've been watching, I've watched, I think if I look at my, yeah, I've watched over 500 non WWE wrestling matches in the past six months. And Walter has been, I would go so far as to say twice as good as anybody else in the scene, uh, out of the, what, several hundred wrestlers I've seen so far. And I, I just, I, I've just been over the moon about the guy, um, and I'm not alone. Uh, there are a lot of fans who are, were more casual hardcore fans, um, who, who just, you know, found the guy and he blew up. But of course, as you'll learn, he's been around a lot longer than that. Um, so I guess I'm approaching it from that new fan perspective, whereas Brock and Quentin, you guys have have been familiar with him for a long time. Yeah, that's the thing about Walter that. I really want to get to the center of tonight is that while I'm really glad he's had this big, it hasn't been a full calendar year yet. So let's go 16, 18 months of him being this new big guy on the independent scene. And a lot of this coming off the back of his 2017, 16 carat run in one very famous match with Ilya Dragunov. And I was over the moon to see how far a lot of that got Walter. But as someone that's been watching WXW via, you know, admittedly, like sometimes through illegal sources or whatever I could find online, like I was really glued to seeing Walter, whether it was uh, in the outsiders or the early um, iterations of RingConf or even his big Van Walter days uh, going solo and being the big monster heel NWXW. So you're telling me you weren't a big fan of the catch hools <laughs> or the mind. Oh, the mind. If we ever do a WXW retrospective, I'm definitely bringing up the mind, but I don't want to do a WXW retrospective. <laughs> <laughs> it wouldn't be fun, but yeah, there's a lot of, there's a lot of bad stuff there, but, um, 
Brock, how about you? What 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 is your first memories of getting exposed to Walter? So, um, my first memories of Walter are obviously through WXW itself, um, which came from my exposure to another promotion, uh, that being the Insanity Pro promotion here in Indianapolis, um, that no longer exists, has been defunct for... I want to say about six years now um but around you know 2008 2009 2010 my friends and i would go to those shows all the time uh eventually started doing like ring crew for them sometimes and it was it was a cool place because it was like big enough to draw in some of the top tier like independent names like brian danielson and chris hero and john moxley jimmy jacobs um uh, more of a like a local top headliner like Drake Younger. Uh, but it also was a place that was small enough that it still needed to use like lesser known guys to fill out a card. So it's where I got to see like um, a guy like Ricochet really cut his teeth and a guy like Sammy Callahan on his way up or uh, Osiris, uh, Congo Kong, before he became like anything of an internet darling. Um, and so it was a really cool promotion for that reason, but also because it was a place that my friends and I could buy cheap DVDs. Uh, outside of the internet where we could get like ROH DVDs from people secondhand from people who worked those shows or PWG DVDs or Chikara DVDs. And as WXW became more of a promotion in the late aughts in early 2010s, uh, we were able to get some of those and especially some of their big 16 karat tournament shows. And it was something we instantly fell in love with. It was like um, my friends and I were all backyard wrestlers and that vibe of WXW with everyone crowded up on the apron and, and constantly chanting, constantly talking shit. Um, most of them just real young, real vibrant people. That entire atmosphere was very attractive to us. And even if we weren't like instantly drawn to a guy like Walter, um, mostly we were like bad bones guys, I think bad bones and like thumbtack Jack, uh, even not, if we weren't big Steve Douglas fans, not Steve Douglas fans. No, we weren't, we didn't like those pants. <laughs> But uh, we really enjoyed the whole atmosphere of the place, and it, and it was something that we tried to uh, keep track of over the years, especially as we got older and as the promotion itself got better. Uh, and as that happened, Walter, who was like fucking 19 when we first saw him probably, uh, developed into like a real unsung great in the European wrestling scene, especially as Europe was still like finding its feet independent wrestling-wise. Um and so my first exposure to Walter was legitimately almost 10 years ago now, but but only in the last, I would say, four or five years have I been able to watch him with any sort of regularity. So as someone that saw him in like his really early, early stages, and mm-hmm. the Walter 10 series that WXW now did for a few weeks, uh, made a lot of that stuff a lot more available to people that hadn't seen it before. And it was very well timed in the release of the footage. But as someone that saw him that early into his career, young 19 year old big dude, like, how has it been seeing him transform into what he has become now? Well, it's interesting because he's not all that different, really. Like, he's still, he's still a guy who's primarily using his size, uh, still a guy who is primarily strike based, though he's certainly uh, become A, better at that over the years, and B, has focused on it in in more of a direct way but really after i would say 2013 or so or even as early as 2011 perhaps like it was clear that this guy was great 
and it was only a matter of time before he really broke out. And once he broke out, I think it was it was a it was a thing where he was clearly the best guy in WXW. And once he got his name out there, the promotion itself would like break it big. So so seeing him make it big, even if these days I'm sort of falling out of favor with the guy, it has been a role um rewarding experience as a longtime fan. No, Evan Walter um in your exposure to him comes in at a pivotal transition uh in your wrestling fandom as you're fed up and discouraged with the WWE product and you know for lack of a better word is like being around like wrestling lunatics like me and Brock and Simon and other people in the Slack chat it's only natural that in the year and a half or whatever that you had been around us by that point you would have kept seeing the Walter guy's name pop up in the chat. So by the time you're branching out and you're ready to make the leap, why does Walter stand out so much more above everyone else um, in that scene and pretty much in the world? Why did Walter become your guy, you think? Well, it's funny because I think the first match you guys ever linked me, even before WrestleMania 34 and all that stuff, um, was Walter versus David Starr from the first round of, of Carrot 2017. Um, and I watched it. I really liked it. And uh, Walter was the guy who stood out to me. And, and I think David Starr is one of the best wrestlers in the world too. Uh, but but Walter, uh, he struck me as, as having that same aura um, that Brock Lesnar did a few years ago uh, in WWE, uh, which was, he was my original favorite wrestler. Uh, that was right after he broke the streak was when I became a fan and he had that 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 presence that he was just somehow apart from the rest of the show. Like, everything was so sanitary, and then here's this guy that's just utterly terrifying and is, is breaking the mold of, of the show. And Walter, in just one match, inspired that feeling in me. And, you know, nobody, nobody in WWE is... is hitting like that regularly. Um, the, 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 the visceral violence of, of what he does, uh, is, is, is the reason people like him, I think, or at least he stands out. Uh, and, and it's just, it, it just blew me away. Um, watching him just beat the tar out of this, this poor guy. And when I started to reach into things more, I knew that WXW was one of the first things I wanted to look at. And, uh, Walter initially struck me as one of the best, um, but as I watched him more and more, I kind of realized that, that he is the perfect base is a wrestling term, so I, I'm mm. using it incorrectly, but he is he is the perfect avatar for other wrestlers when they wrestle him to draw out their best stuff. So uh, when I look at Walter's 2018, I see four matches that he's had that I think stand above the rest. Uh, the most famous one, which, which I guess is, is good enough as an example, uh, was the Timothy Thatcher match from Progress Chapter 62 back in January, which is probably his second most famous match now besides the, the Ilya match uh, from last year. And the thing that struck people so much about that match, and this is a lot of people who watched Evolve and, and fell out of love with Timothy Thatcher, but it was like, my God, Timothy Thatcher's such a great babyface. And he is. He's, he's, he's an outstanding babyface in that match. You, you want him to win so badly. You, you want him to overcome that hill. And Thatcher is a, is a typically fairly reserved guy 
who doesn't, you know, quote unquote, act a lot in his matches, uh, very dramatically or expressively, which is largely a good thing for him. Um, but, but in that match, he doesn't have to. And when you look at Walter against other opponents, that keeps happening where you have the reaction like, oh my God, uh, you know, uh, the, the other guy in the match shines so well. Uh, Ilya Dragunov had two great matches with Walter from this year uh, that stemmed from his return from 16 karat gold. Uh, a guy like Darby Allen, who, who you're so instantly inclined to write off, uh, had a, an absolute scorcher with Walter where he becomes the most compelling guy in the world for 13 minutes because Walter's just kicking the tar out of him like you've never seen. And Darby pulling off that win, you go from from not caring about the guy to it being a cathartic experience in 13 minutes. Uh, or Jordan Devlin in OTT last month at WrestleRama, a guy who's fighting for his country, and Walter is playing a big heel here. He's not just a, 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 a an angry gatekeeper. He's the actual villain. And, you know, the, the, the way that he brings out a guy who isn't always super interesting in Jordan Devlin and makes him you know, your guy in the span of a 15 or 20 minute match. That to me is Walter's biggest strength. I think he's able to do that because his offense is so visceral and stands out so much. He's a really underrated seller. I, I think people don't talk about that as much with him, uh, but there's been a few matches he worked underneath this year, particularly with uh, a match he had with Zack Sabre Jr. in WXW where, where he sells really well. And so when guys make their comebacks against him, it, it feels it feels real. It feels legitimate, uh, and and his power stuff obviously is great. His signature stuff is super over. The sleeper is an automatic pop, uh, and and you can tell. And, and we'll talk about the Walter Ten stuff in a little bit. But you can tell how passionate he is about the character that he's playing, and that he's enjoying himself, and that it's what you're seeing on screen is authentic. Uh, so all of that together, um, to me, is is sort of Walter's case and why he became uh, such a standout to me and why he became my favorite. It's interesting when you say this because you got to look at the time period in which Walter becomes a top guy. There's a lot of departures going on. Um, a lot of people that I think you would come to like on some level, like a Matt Riddle or Keith Lee. Uh, Matt Riddle, I think at the time when you're watching him, I don't think he's having the best year by the time by the time you find him keith lee i know you were down on zach who i think we should have to mention like with the end of the walter um stuff is you appreciate zach you think he has great matches but he doesn't always hit that emotional visceral level for you so in this vast sea of great wrestlers that you're seeing and getting exposed to to know that walter was the guy that spoke to you was always really interesting to me and i think this is where we can get into walter's like insane rise in the last year and a half or in some change uh to me where this really starts is january 2017 ring comp versus the south pacific power trip of tk cooper and travis banks and to me this is where we saw people that weren't big wxw fans seeing Walter and Thatcher going against this team that's getting some momentum but hasn't had that big signature match yet. Those two forces collide. And for a lot of Progress fans, I know for a fact this was like their match of the year. 
finished super highly on the match of the year stuff. Uh, gets mentioned constantly from people who work in the company as one of the highlights of the year. And to me, that was the first Walter match outside of WXW where people were like, oh shit, like this Walter dude is really good. And keep in mind, like this is a Travis Banks that's gaining ahead of steam, um, working at Fight Club Pro and doing other things. TK Cooper has been, uh, really popular. Timothy Thatcher is starting to gain, gain his momentum back. But Walter came away as the most impressive guy in that match to a lot of people. And this is someone that had already did, already done uh, two Super Strong Style 16 tournaments, had been in the Atlas tournament that Progress had done. So there's a bunch of chapter shows where these fans have already been exposed to Walter and they enjoyed his work. But I think this is where it all finally clicks for him, at least where the crowd connects with him the most. I don't know if Brock, I know I, don't, I know Evan hasn't seen this match. Brock, do you recall anything about this match? I if I saw it, I think I recalled disliking it. Right, which is uh, par for the course for me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but it's something that I know at the time really did change the perception of everyone involved in that match. Totally. Every, everyone came out for the better uh, because of that match. And next, we're off and rolling to. The, the 16 karat tournament and we already had a chapter 45 where it wasn't that job i don't know why i said that it was actually the junior in the match with uh with a uh, tk and travis and we also had axel and walter versus the hunter brothers so that team is starting to gain some momentum and progress and we have the 16 karat gold tournament and we have walter running through David Starr and Marius Alani and Matt Riddle. And obviously we get to the final with him and Ilya Dragunov. Mm-hmm. And the Ilya Dragunov match is something that captures the imagination of so many other people in the wrestling world. The 2017 Carrot, if I had to really put a rank on it, is at worst the second best Carrot that WXW's ever ran. And it's definitely the most impactful Carrot they've ever ran. Uh, the reverberations of that tournament skyrocketed so many guys. And while Ilya Dragunov, I think, was able to coast off of that momentum for the rest of the year, Mm -hmm. Walter just put his foot on the gas after that match. And when we talk about heel Walter performances and how visceral he is and how commanding and dominating, and when you're watching Walter on offense... You just want to see this opponent of his win and come back and find a way to beat him. I think the ultimate example of that is like a Dragonov match. And Brock, I don't think it was your match of the year last year. I think it maybe finished at four or five. No, nah, I came in second. Came in second. It was it was it was my number one for nine months up until I saw Tremont versus Gage. Okay. I was thinking that you had the Tremont the first to my gauges back to back. Um, yeah. yeah. So your, your second highest rated match of the year. Uh, and, and one of 1000 matches better than Shawn Michaels versus the undertaker from WrestleMania 25. You know, debatable, definitely better than Cena versus Umaga. But Evan, when you get a hold of this match and you're seeing it months after the fact that people had already seen this, hmm. how, 
changing and stirring is this match for you, even though you didn't watch this whole tournament? Well, it was one of the first matches that I watched outside of WWE. Um, I saw it. I may have seen it in 2017. I'm not. I'm not sure. I even saw it this year. Um, so it, it was. It was before the reckoning. Uh, but uh, it was. It was like to me. It's to me. It's it's one of the best matches I've ever seen. I say it's bo- it's better than both of your uh, your black sheep <laughs> matches. Um, it's uh, and I love both of those matches. I'm probably at four and three quarters on both of them. Uh, th- this is a this is a true. Uh, a true legitimate five star match to me. It is. It's. Uh. It's. It's by far uh, the best tournament final I've ever seen. Like a same day tournament final. Um. In terms of you know, I'm not here to do a match review, but like they come out you know guns blazing right away. Walter hits the suplex combo right away. He goes for the sleeper right away, and it's just you know even if you don't know Walter's signature stuff, you know that he's trying to kill the guy. And of course, every you know the famous chest bleeding. And it's funny how we're sitting here 18 months later, and that's become a cliche because, you know, it, 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 is, it was so visceral and it was so, it was so mind-blowing. And Ilya's chest reddens up better than just about anybody's. Uh, mm-hmm. and, and it was, uh, it was you know, he, he's one of the best fired up baby faces ever. They're a perfect match for each other. And, and I mean, it, it's, it's an, but what was, what was really wild about it not that just it was this legendary match, but it feels iconic when you watch it. It's one of those matches that feels, oh wow, this is an this is an all timer. This is a this is a pantheon match, and you know it when you're watching it. And 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 the power of that when it went, I, I can only imagine you guys can speak to this better than I can. But when it went around the internet when it first happened, I can see why a guy made a career off of that because it's 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 got this. It's got this feel to it that just puts it on that upper upper level. Yeah, I if I really had to think about it, I'm not sure there's any match in 2017 that felt bigger than Ilya Dragunov and Walter. I'm not even sure that like a match that felt as prestigious as it in outside of Omega Okada, I would in terms of like reception or like when you're watching it. Yeah, as I'm like watching this match and seeing the crowd come alive and seeing all these emotions bleeding through, even down to uh, both commentary tracks, whether it be German and English, whether I'm listening to the German commentators or Alan, Alan Farrell and Enrico Bushido, there's com- like the emotion is bleeding through on both commentary tracks. And that's something that uh, really strikes me when watching this match is that it just speaks to everyone in the building it speaks to you if you're a longtime WXW fan. It speaks to you if you're just jumping into the promotion. It's a genuinely transcendent match. And this takes Walter to the, Walter to the next level. Uh, mm-hmm. Funny enough, this isn't even my favorite match that Walter was a part of in 2017. And this sort of gets to what I want to uh, discuss about the legacy of the Ilya match and what the Ilya match led to. Is that... As the year goes on, Walter's year doesn't stop. He keeps having really good matches. He has he has a really good match, uh, the first of two really good matches against Massive Product, where he's teaming with Axel Leader Jr. against David Starr and Aaron Simmons on February's Dead End Show in WXW. That was my WXW match of the year, finished in my top 10 for the year. Um, 
he has really good matches in WFW against smaller names in the promotion, like a Chris Colin and an even Keeve. Uh, a monster consulting team that really hadn't found their footing yet, but they're really starting to get in stride. Um, a broken the, the match of broken rules against Bobby Guns and Jackson Stone, and a, and a really short ambition match against Jeff Cobb, and the guy gets booked for Bola, uh, loses in the first round to Keith Lee, but he comes he returns for All Star Weekend, has really good matches against Ricochet and Zack Saber Jr. Um, the Beyond Wrestling Cold Brew match and the year in December, obviously the David Starr stuff um, in October that really captures the imagination of people that love the Ilya match, but somehow the David Starr stuff and the handwork there really takes it to a next level for people because that displays the selling of Walter that Evan touched on a little bit in the beginning. So as I look at this year and I break down all these matches, whether it be getting the best stuff out of guys in WXW who aren't having those quality of matches on a consistent basis, whether it be hanging hang in there with some of the best in the world like Zack Sabre Jr. and Ricochet, whether it be um, collecting career-defining rivals in Ilya Dragunov and David Starr, whether it be feuding with the heel stable in his home promotion and rise, uh, working with two tag team partners and having totally different dynamics in Axel Dieter Jr. and Timothy Thatcher, the match that still sticks out the most is the Ilya Dragunov match. And that match followed Walter and it became sort of the formula that he works with. Uh, I forgot to mention the Matt Riddle stuff that Walter was doing that I know I liked, but I'm pretty sure Brock was not a fan of. Would that be correct? Yeah. I really did not enjoy most of those matches. Right. Um, As I look at this great year Walter had, and I believe he finished third in my Wrestler of the Year voting. Uh, First for me. Yeah. Your, like your Wrestler of the Year that year finished third for me, finished uh, second for Timothy um, on his list. Everyone is just over like over the moon about Walter that year. And when we get to, I would say, the first quarter of 2018, instead of the, I guess, the variety that we were getting right off the bat with him in 2017... It felt like he was playing with and catering to what got him that big recognition in the first place with the new audience, and that right. was the Ilya match, and that was the formula of the Ilya match. So one thing I want to bring up before we go any further is is your comment here about his variety, uh, which is, was a big concept that we wanted to touch on when we first started, uh, started to discuss this podcast. Um, and Quentin, you and I specifically, since we've been watching Walter for so long, we had this idea in our head like, oh, he's always had this this greater amount of variety than than what he's exhibiting in like 2018 and in even really the back half of 2017 as well. And I think that's true to some degree, but I, as I've been revisiting a whole lot of matches for this podcast, like, I think we need to discuss what that variety really amounts to because I don't think it's nearly so much as what I had thought it was previously. Right. So... I guess before we get into the Walter 2018, this will be a good time to get into the Walter 10 and sort of revisiting a lot of what he was doing there. And uh-huh. the Walter 10 focuses on uh, his introduction to WXW in 2008 through his 
career, um, not career defining since 2018 was bigger for him, but the breakout his, year, the breakout year that was 2017 for him. Yeah, his rise, yeah. Um, and seeing him go from the Takeshi Rikio and Brian Danielson matches in 2008, while I think I'm higher on those matches than the other people that wound up watching the series, I think. At least, at least higher on Walter's performances. Sure. I do see and can see, like, coming away in those early episodes and thinking, huh, okay, like, maybe the variety that we that we assumed he had wasn't always there. Because when you think Walter, and I think he's a guy where his wrestling philosophy is attached to his wrestling and the way we view him more than any other wrestler out there. Uh-huh. Because they've made he he's made the wrestling philosophy the gimmick, you know, ring conf, you know, the mat is sacred. We only respect one kind of. We there's three kinds of wrestlers: ones we respect, ones we don't respect, and whatever else. And all that became like the big appeal of ring conf, this sacred group who of people who care about the sanctity of wrestling. Mm-hmm. And when you look at it, the Stuff that I think I've grown to love Walter for, like being this big guy that can seamless, seamlessly transition into working on the mat uh, with people half his size and it not coming across as forced and he's actually using skill and technique. Or this guy can sell and fight from underneath and look vulnerable to a guy like Robert Dreisker who's smaller than him. Uh, a guy that can work as a big menacing uh dom- dominating heel um like in the outsiders versus hot and spicy tag match uh a guy that can be a phenomenal hot tag like we saw late in the year with timothy thatcher and all those rise tags and i think all that stuff about walter doesn't particularly get explored up until give or take 2013 and i mm-hmm. think that's where I agree with you in that revisiting it, I think maybe we were kind of like gave what gave Walter a little too much and overestimated how much he was actually doing. Well, like, well don't I, we have to don't we have to differentiate between what's actually on the tape and what he's proven he can do? Because like yeah. I think he's proven that he can have all the variety that you you know, originally thought he did. There's a reason you thought he could, mm-hmm. but he right. just doesn't very often. He's not booked to. And he says in in the series he you know he he works on top that's his style that's the way that's what people want him to do especially on on the indies today his size stands out people are going to bring him in to do that um, that's the style that he worked in Japan and that he learned to work so you know that's that's what he does but uh, so so no there isn't a ton of that stuff on tape right but but when he does branch out of his designated role. At least, at least what I've seen him do this year, which admittedly isn't a ton, because that's just not what people want him to do. But when he does branch out of that role, I, I think he is equally effective. I think I think the thing that really sticks in my craw, though, is that is what we define as branching out. Um, and I think part of this is Evan, as you're saying, is really just like this is a guy who is 
uh, either booked to or conditioned to work one particular way due to his stylistic influence, due to his size, due to um, what got him over previously, due to his training, all sorts of things. Um, and I, I'm not, I'm not here asking for this like six four, three hundred pound man to go out there and start doing SSPs or anything. And I'm not asking him to like roll around on the mat for forty five minutes like a, like I like to see from a Jonathan Gresham. But it's, it's like, I don't know. I came into this podcast. I came into preparing for this podcast thinking like, oh yeah, I'm going to find all these matches that like, uh, most of which I've seen before, most of which like I already really enjoyed, most of which I think have all this depth to it. And I found myself, uh, thinking, oh no, he's basically just the same guy he's always been. He's been this great foundation for other people to shine against this, uh, this wall for other people to climb over. And he might deviate a little bit from what he's doing match to match, but he's still just, he's still Walter at the end of the day. Right. And I think this is a good spot to sort of bring in uh, the person that I compare uh, Walter's year to, his 2018, and this will be uh, 2016 Chris Hero. And I think a lot of the 2016 Chris Hero stuff, that while I appreciated it, it was little slight deviations from what people already wanted and expected from him each time sure. he went out um, and what he turned his uh, brand into. And that was the knockout artist, this big commanding bully with elbows and strikes and knees and chops and everything that he is, you're throwing at him. And hopefully someone can find a way to overcome him and you would get like a slight deviation on the formula, maybe some arm selling uh, here and there. Maybe someone is forcing him to work underneath like a Roderick Strong or Pete Dunn. But at the end of the day, you were getting what you uh, wanted from Chris Hero or what the majority wanted from Chris Hero. So I guess to both of you, and Evan, your mileage may uh, be a little bit different than Brock's here, but for you two... Do you have a problem watching someone who's clearly giving the masses what they want and then sort of talking about, oh, this person has this much variety and they are so good and so great. And then when you actually watch their matches, it's pretty much offering you the same thing, but with a different opponent every time. Well, to me, it's like, and you know, I've seen probably 20% of Chris Hero's 2016 output here and there. Um, especially in Evolve, and I can almost guarantee you he would have been my wrestler of the year for 2016 just based off of that, um, knowing how much more is out there. Mm -hmm. Uh, Because, to me, where the deviation is and where it's interesting is seeing how other people bring their best selves out against the wall, so to speak. And I give both of those guys, and especially Walter, credit for being interesting with a formula, and Zack Sabre Jr. actually plays into this too, Quentin. Although, like you said, I, I haven't had the emotional attachment to him. But, but you know, that you can plug anybody in and they can tell their story in this formula. And I think that's extremely valuable and extremely rare. There's, there's very few guys that can, that, you know, that can work their match and, and bring out so many different interesting characters that may fall flat in a lot of other places. Um, but but that shine against this specific character in this specific environment. 
And I think there's something to be said for being really fucking good at the thing you're good at and, and for drawing interesting stories out of other people. Now, I totally agree that, that the chop match, so to speak, the, the Ilya template has become a little bit played out. Um, in particular, you know, it always seems to go like Walter dominates the first portion of the match with chops. There's some opening halfway through where he either chops the ring post or the other guy gets an arm bar or something, and they, there's a little bit of a bright spot, and either Walter continues to come and overruns them, or the other guy gets a, a you know somewhat of a of a, a cheap win. Uh, we've seen that in a, a ton of different places. The Mark Davis progress match, I think, is the one that sticks out the most to me. Uh, that follows that formula to the point where it almost feels a little bit derivative. Uh, although I still really loved that match because of how visceral it was. Um, there's nothing new in that. There's nothing There's nothing groundbreaking in that, and I get it. But when I see him wrestle Jordan Devlin as a straight heel and bring out this, this, this national pride, pride in your whole scene in this one guy, or I see him wrestle Darby Allen, and, you know, this, this, this little, you know, this, this shitty little kid is out there taking the best from the, the most violent wrestler in the world and keeps coming back for more. There are different stories to be told with the same the same guy. And to me, that's, you know, a, a great professional wrestler, uh, you know, can have a great match with anybody and tell an interesting story there. And just because he's doing it in his role doesn't necessarily devalue it for me. It's funny. Um, I'm not sure Quentin necessarily, if you wanted to talk about this specifically, uh, because I made this comparison in my year end stuff last year. But yeah, last year when I when I called Walter the wrestler of the year, I did compare him to Hero, who had been my twenty fifteen and twenty sixteen wrestlers of the year. And specifically I, I was saying like in a similar way, I think he he is a guy who who a lot of people tend to have their best work with. And I think that there is a gulf in between the two of them for very specific reasons. Uh and specifically how they approach these sorts of matches. Um you made mention of the hero bully formula, which was something that really, uh, really weighed on a lot of people, especially towards the end of his run. Yeah, um, I, I, I can I can speak personally. Like when it came to that 2016 year, and as I'm ranking the top three wrestlers of the year for me that year, um, which happened to be Zack Saber Jr., Trevor Lee, and Hero. As I was going through, I was like, man, while like the Dick Togo match from uh what november that year is something like that yeah it's really good because i'm getting so tired of the formula by that point hero closes out on a whimper for me as opposed to zach and trevor closing out on highs and he had he had like a weird end of the year too because it was basically a known fact that he was going back to the fed and it was it took a lot of momentum out of him but you're not wrong though like a lot of people like really grew to hate uh what had previously been like a rock solid formula and the way the ways in which that feels better to me than the stuff that walter has been doing um for a very long time but especially in a really focused way in the last two years uh is things like hero's personality like i think hero just brings like a lot of variety in mood to his matches mm. like whether he's he's like the elder statesman of the independent scene trying to make things better through like honest competition in sort of a ring camp esque way or if he's a guy who's just like the most arrogant person in the world who thinks he's like 
um, the greatest of all time and he's just going to steamroll everybody. Or he's a guy who's trying to prove his worth against like one of the biggest legends or a couple of the biggest legends in, in Japanese wrestling history. Like um, the way in which he is a very charming and interesting character stands out to me and helps to make that more of a variety um, more of a varied experience than I think a lot of what Walter gives me. And, like, I think he's just... I think Hero was just so much more nuanced and so much more careful and deliberate in what he was doing. Like, um, Evan, you, you said something that really stood out to me, and I'm trying to I'm trying to use your words specifically here. Um, you said that other people bring the best of themselves out against the wall that is Walter. And I think the opposite is true with hero where i think hero is the one bringing the best out of other people i think there's like a very distinct difference there um walter to me is sort of like um even drago from uh, uh rocky four is that the one yeah yeah, yeah 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 like where a boxing match ends the cold war yeah totally <laughs> he's he's a guy who comes to matches and doesn't necessarily care unless it's a friend of his doesn't necessarily care how the other guy does he's he's coming into matches going if he dies he dies whereas hero is is someone who time and again i i saw him face fucking scrubs in 2015 and 2016 and did everything he could to like give them the best match of their career and uh, another big part of that is like hero went everywhere in the world during that period of time like walter's not going to sci he's not going to noah he's not going to the same or um as many small uk feds he's not going to um iwa mid-south he's not going to like upstate new york he's not going to st louis anarchy he's not going to ronin he's not going to smash he's not having three hour matches for charity you know like i it's i don't think walter's bad i think on some level he is great but like it's like there's a world of difference to me, even even when I compare the guy to Hero. I think there's a world of difference to me from Walter to like someone who I think is an honest to god all timer. Now I think that's where I want to get into something here is that I actually didn't think about the personality thing that you had mentioned, and I think yeah. that's a really great point here. It's, it's like it's like in apples and oranges. Like it's it's almost I think on some level it's not fair to compare that because it's like. Walter's entire gimmick is having no personality. Right. <laughs> so it's it's an apples and oranges thing. It's like, well, like I love Hero because like he has made me smile in a million different ways over the last ten years. But Walter is like not attempting that. But Walter isn't charming, right? That's not that's not who he is. He's a fact. Walter is a fixed point. Sure. You 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 must find a way to overcome it, or you will get swallowed whole. And and you know, life is painful. Life will make you bleed, and mm. you have to find a way around that, or it's going to take you down. And that—that's such a raw and and very authentic story. There's value in. Yeah, it. every time he goes. I also think not being as good as Chris Hero's 2015 and 2016 doesn't make you not a great wrestler necessarily. Totally. Um. But but yeah, I I definitely see where you're coming from in that he's not funny. He, he's he's not charming. Um, he just he's he's a fact of life. I think even, I think even going into what Brock was saying about the kind of uh, even variance in the uh, heel performances we would get from Hero is that the same like the Zack Saber Junior um, performance we get from Chris Hero isn't the 
performance Chris Hero is going to give when he's facing Mark Andrews. It's not uh-huh. going to be the same performance he gives when he's facing Tracy Williams. It's not going to be the same performance he gets when he's facing, you know, young upstart Matt Riddle, who can't seem to beat him. It's not the same thing that he's going to be giving, um, you know, Jushin Liger and Dick Togo. And I think that's the thing here where I think we get varying levels of meanness from Walter. But if you go, you know, looking at the core of these matches, if you go from what Walter offers you from Devlin to Ilya to Wild Boar to Thatcher to like, all these guys as far as like the Walter formula. And I'm not mm-hmm. accounting for the matches where uh, he gets taken out of it like Zack Sabre Jr. or uh, Semi Guevara. But I think so much of it is that even when, like, when we're in the Walter formula, so to speak, he's not even giving you like that variance of personality that may be really a really small thing but something that made heroes matches even if i got tired of them down the stretch uh interesting see i i'm not disagreeing with you as as much as i'm saying i guess i don't need that yeah. for me to be interested um because i i can't disagree with you that you like you said the guy's gimmick is that he's a stone-faced killer um mm-hmm. but but what what his opponents have to do against him is is interesting to me, and there's nobody else in wrestling that's like that. There's nobody else in wrestling that's even close uh, to like that, uh, especially now that that hero is um, a semi-retired player coach. Uh, mm-hmm. Although I'm interested to see what he and Riddle cook up um, at the end of this year. Uh, in the Jesus Christ, yeah. If that happens in NXT, I'm I'm gonna die. It's probably takeover um, in November uh, is the uh, is the rumor, but uh, but yeah, it's um so. I guess yeah, I'm not I'm not disagreeing with you. If you if you dock him points for that, I'm I'm not going to argue with you about it. Uh, yeah. It's just it's just not something that's part of his appeal to me. Like I wouldn't want Walter to be jokey or not even right. jokey. I wouldn't even want Walter to you know t- to to be like this. You know to have a fighting spirit, babyface thing or or anything that you know he's he, there's something to be said for being in your best role and. You know, going back to the Walter 10 thing, if you watch the whole series, he's fairly matter-of-fact about his previous career. He's really honest about it. He, he thinks he's shit until the last couple of years. But when he talks about ring comp, he lights up and he loves it. He, he's, he's so into ring comp and what he's doing right now. The host asks him what his favorite version of himself is and he cuts him off and says, my current version. Um, you can tell that there is... That is his personality. That's what he's doing right now is his best self. And that's, you know, I wouldn't want him to be something he's not. In mm. talking about this and comparing Walter's year to Chris Hero's uh, all-time legendary year, got me thinking in that, yeah, in volume, these guys may be similar, but and this is a comparison that Simon has always made, is that, Walter in personality may be more Samoa Joe and how and how he acts and how he carries himself and how he presents himself. Because sure. because even in, you know, the heyday of Samoa Joe, what's Samoa Joe doing when he's going promotion to promotion? He's kicking ass and not smiling and he, like and even if he is giving you a smile as this like nasty sneer like smug look of arrogance like yeah, nobody can fuck with me. I'm the baddest man on the planet. 
Yeah, yeah th- that's what I resist because, like, I I think of like, like I fucking love Joe, right? Like, and, and I and I think about like what I love about Joe, and it is his personality. It is it is like what he brings to matches when when he puts when he puts an STF on on Sami Zayn and is like, think of your career, and is like screaming at him. Okay, and, so like, like, so like, I, I maybe like kind of like distance it from like the later joe work i'm thinking like you know what people sure. consider like the peak joe years like 2003 like, to like 2006 like yeah so like, it is it is I, I still think he has a lot there you're you're right that it's probably not as much as more current joe who has to rely on personality to get by um uh, but like i don't know eventually when we do a joe podcast because i'm definitely forcing you to do something that i like for <laughs> <soon>. <laughs> um <laughs> When we do that and and we do a, like a deep dive into Joe, I think I think maybe I might have to like eat my words, but I think I think he's worlds different. He is he is like he's probably closer to Walter than Walter is to Hero, mm-hmm. but it's 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 two different things. Well, what's still. interesting is I, I think we're starting to center around the question: Is Walter an all time great? And I think the answer isn't necessarily no, as it is not yet. Like I want to yeah. see Walter when he's forty. And he can't do the same things he can do now. Does he adapt the way Samoa Joe has in order to stay interesting? And like Samoa Joe is is well one of the ten best wrestlers ever, but he's a great character. I think he's I think he's bar none the the it's him and the Miz are, are the two best talkers in the Fed right now. And for a guy that that his case for a long time relied on his in ring, isn't that pretty spectacular? And Walter is just never going to be that level of promo. He's never going to be that level of 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 character because that's just not him uh, it's not who he is um and and whether that takes away from his case i think is a more subjective thing uh but but you know like i was saying like the the question i think we're centering around is is he an all-time great i don't think you can say yes just yet i do think he's having a great year i think he's probably the only wrestler in the world that's having a truly great year um but he's had, if you give him last year, he's had what? He's had two. That's not an all-time great yet. So we'll have to revisit this eventually. But I think, uh, I don't think you can make that jump just yet. But I'm yeah, also but- not saying no, which I think, Brock, you might be coming down a little bit closer to. I, I I don't know. That might just be like a difference in how we perceive these things where I'm, I'm, I'm a no until I'm a yes, I guess. Um but it, but it is an important thing to keep in mind that like this guy just turned thirty one, and like he is in wrestling terms still extremely young. In Japan, he would not be hitting his peak. That's mind blowing to me. And and like, yeah, it's it was really weird. Um, having watched WXW for so long and seeing guys like Walter and Absolute Andy and Bad Bones, and then in like twenty fifteen or something, actually figuring out how old they were and just being like, what the fuck? I saw them when they were. 20. They all look so much older too. Absolutely, Andy's thirty four. He looks like he's forty five. It's it's insane. But like, this is a guy who who has based himself around Japanese wrestling and whose early career was defined a lot by Japanese wrestling. Um, And so, I think it is important to keep in mind that like he should be theoretically a dude who only gets better from here, and he is he is only just now getting out of the phase in which I think he would. He would be he would be doing a lot of dumb shit. And now he's going to get into the the point in his career in which like he has to smarten up and has to like uh, double down on what actually works. 
or or what I think doesn't work for me but works for the wrestling fandom at large. I'm going to get back to that point of him getting to an age where he's like cutting dumb shit out that he would be doing when he's young. But when I was talking about the Walter and Joe and maybe he's not as much hero, um, to me, I think as like generations go on, there's like defining guys who are like are like apart from each other, but way more similar than we care to think. And, you know, we have guys like, you know, your Bret Hart's and your Shawn Michaels. We have the Styles and Danielsons that sort of define the uh, 2000s and early 2010s. And to me, I think like Zach and Walter are those guys right now. And I was going to say that maybe like while Walter is more on the Joe side, that maybe like the Z- like the Zach is where we're getting like the hero, which is the personality and ever in the chart in the charm that we ex- like I guess aren't getting from Walter right now because Walter is the stone cold killer and Zach can be a killer like like Chris Hero can be a killer, but he has a bigger personality than that. So I guess like having those guys on opposite sides and sort of being like defining rivals for each other, I guess speaks to the kind of talent that we had hidden in WXW for years. And Mm -hmm. this goes back to uh, your point about Walter finally getting to an age where he's beyond doing dumb things. The outsiders versus hot and spicy match happens in what fall 2013. I think it's, it's either August or September of 2013. Yeah. And I believe Walter is 25 26 maybe at this no point. i think i think he's younger actually no he's, he's 26 because he okay. said he just turned 30 in or he's 25 or 26 because he just turned 30 when they recorded the series yes which was at the end of last year mm. okay so as i'm watching that match and with the nugget in my mind now that Walter is 25 years old as this match happens. And, all those guys were. And his, all those and, guys were super young. Yeah, and his, and his contemporaries in that match are even younger than him. It really shows you the kind of mind for wrestling that Walter had even then. Is that this 25-year-old dude like completely understood the idea of like building to the baby faces winning. He completely understood the idea of like we're going to beat the absolute shit out of these guys. We're not gonna. We're gonna give them barely any help spots. Cut them off. Uh, talk shit to them. Uh, talk shit in front of his father. Everything, and I think it showed a great level of a uh, awareness in wrestling mm. IQ that a lot of guys at that age didn't have. And I th- frankly, I think that's a lot. That's what a lot of those uh, WXW guys had. And I'll throw. Uh, Zack Saber Jr. in there too. I talk about when I talk about these guys, is that these guys were really young into their twenties, showing really high wrestling IQs. Andy, Bad Bones, Walter, Zach were all really smart wrestlers early on, and I think that speaks to the kind of a. Uh, I mean, I don't like. I don't. I, it's weird to see that these these guys were such smart wrestlers or becoming such smart wrestlers really early in age because there what well, isn't a like that big of a precedent for big wrestling or great wrestling in Germany up until the last couple of years of WXW. So to see these guys who I'm not gonna say are like self taught that obviously had trainers, but to see these guys who weren't learning from 
what I would call like the best crop of guys to be under. <laughs> right. I was going to say right. zero one, this uh, secretly amazing Fed. <laughs> sort of, not necessarily when he was there. Um, well, Evan, there is something I did want to bring up, uh, being that you're such a noted Disney fan. Mm. Uh, I wanted I wanted to ask how it felt knowing that a guy named Bambi Killer was the guy who got Walter into Zero One. Yeah, man. Uh, Bambi is like my favorite Disney movie ever. Uh, <laughs> I think it's a I think it's a fucking work of art. And God, man, don't kill Bambi. They already killed his mom. That's fucking yeah. horrible. That's really heartless. But I think it's really interesting how those WXW guys were so smart had those had such high IQs. Mm. Early on into early on into their career, their careers, without that big of a pool to learn from, and I think that speaks to the philosophy that WXW had at the time, and WXW still has, which is bringing in a lot of imports. And when you're bringing in guys like Quack and Bush and Claudio, who was a regular there for a while, uh, Hero, Colt Cabana, CM Punk, um. Matt, Danielson. yeah, Danielson, Matt Seidel, like, like you're bringing in the best of the best at that time, and even then, those guys are super young in their into their careers too, which is a very strange thing to look at. That while Chris Hero is like 25 years old at the same time, he's over here teaching all this young crop of WXW talent. Well, it's funny because I think WXW has slowed the number of imports that they're bringing in to really only carrot the superstars of wrestling show and world tag team league, you know, their two festival weekends and the one show that is specifically about imports. And it's because of Walter because he's running the Academy and they're bringing the amount, you know, that they're bringing in a number of guys, young guys who are smart wrestlers at a young age who are very green, but are still coming along that have filled out the lower part of their card. And, you know, you've got a, a guy like Lucky Kid or a guy like Bobby Guns, uh, you know, that they can put in big matches. Uh, you know, you can main event a Hamburg show with Zack Sabre Jr. versus Lucky Kid. You know, you bring Zack back for what I think has been a great run this year. Or you can main event World Tag Team League with Andy versus Ilya versus Bobby uh, in a three-way because, of you know, Walter has, has started the academy. Um, and this is only going to continue for them. I don't know how this impacts his legacy, but he clearly has a passion for teaching, and he's clearly very thoughtful. Um, when you listen to him, he thinks about his words carefully. He chooses his words wisely. Um, he's a guy with great perspective. Um, he's not someone who's going to get sentimental about wrestling. He says he wants to retire by his mid-40s. He wants to go out when he's on top. He doesn't want to be remembered as someone who embarrassed himself at an older age. Um, and and I think he's just, he's just frankly, he's just a smart guy. He's just an intelligent guy. I think it's hard to be not in wrestling. It's not, it's not impossible to be, but it's hard to be that great if you're not a smart guy. Um, and that, that really strikes me about him. Um, another point I wanted to get to from something you brought up Quentin about Zack Sabre Jr. What's, what's interesting. We were talking about the variety. This is a decent way to, to tie all this together. Walter's most quote unquote different match this year was with Zack Sabre Jr. Um, at the We Love Wrestling Hamburg show uh, in Hamburg uh, in the middle of May, where he works virtually the entire match underneath uh, as a babyface and ends up tapping out, um, which, which you never see. Uh, this was by far the most radically different match he's had this year. I thought it was brilliant. Um, and obviously, Zach working on top is, is, is tremendous. 
And I was kind of thinking about it. I think Zach is much more like Walter um, than, than, you know, than, than maybe we think about in that he's a guy that you, he works on top for the most part. You plug him into the, you know, you plug his opponent into the formula and the story of his opponent is sort of the story. Uh, Zach has a more variety, you know, more variety of personality, but I also find that that hurts him as much as it helps him. I think Zach's best matches and Zach's best role is when he's playing that petty asshole character who is going to stretch you for fun and because he's angry at something and he's going to, he's going to, you know, he's going to rip your, your limbs off because he can, uh, because he's, he's, he's a, because he's a dick and you have to find a way around that. Now, one of them does submissions, one of them does strikes, but I think they're both very, very similar, um, in, in that formula sense. I think where Walter is better than Zach is that Walter is equally adept in the franchise babyface role, whereas I think Zach is a lot less interesting in that spot. But that's not, you know, that's not necessarily relevant. But like, I think from a, from a, I, I agree that they're the two guys of the moment that are defining this era. I, I think they're pretty similar though. I, I don't necessarily think that they're that opposed. I think because, I think, um, I view Zach in a more like maniacal way as to where like, I think Walter for the most part when he's wrestling is aiming to win the match. I think Zach wants to embarrass somebody when he wrestles. I think Zach wants to torture someone when he wrestles. Yeah, he's petty. Yeah, he's a petty asshole. And I and I think Walter is a guy that realizes how big he is and beats the shit out of you. But I don't think his aim is to embarrass you unless you're Darby Allen. Well, there are some matches like that. The the Wild Boar match in Riptide was like that. I think the Devlin match was like that. Um, Right. Which, you know, where where he's playing. He doesn't play a pure heel very often anymore because people love him. Right. I think think even then in that match, you can see what Walter's aim is because even before the bell rings and they're doing introductions, he's sitting there like grabbing the OTT world title. So you can see like how one-track minded he is that – yeah, he's already beat Jordan Devlin, but he's like, yeah, I want that fucking belt. Like, let, let's let's go. Yeah, definitely. But yeah, I think while you're right in that they're more similar than we even really talk about, I think the maniacal side of Zach is where they differ as to where I think Walter. Um, and I guess you can point that. To, I guess you could, depending on your mileage, call that a flaw in Zach in that he's not constantly trying to win the match, as to where Walter constantly feels like a. He is trying to win. I don't think that's necessarily a flaw as it is like, you know, what's the story? Which, right. you know, which what what does the story call for out of the character? I think more often the story is win the wrestling match, which is maybe where Walter has an edge there. You We mentioned Walter being the guy in the WFW Academy, the head trainer, um, the only WXW wrestler uh, with a contract, I believe, um, even still. And... We talked about how the philosophy of WXW was that they would bring in so many imports and be so import heavy. And over the years, that has really drastically changed. And seeing how sort of uh, insular the WXW product has gotten, I think you can sort of compare it to when we get to the uh, heyday of All Japan. And All Japan wasn't, you know branching out and bringing in people all the time and seeing as, as that as that's Walter's biggest influence do you think that Walter's um appreciation of 
the King's Road style and the King's Road philosophy has impacted the way that WFW has ran Brock. So, um, I don't necessarily think it was anything as overt as that. Uh, Walter does speak in this video series we've been mentioning, the Walter 10 series on WXW Now. He does speak to how he wanted to emulate some aspects of like uh, Big Japan's uh, touring schedule in WXW's um, day-to-day operations, and it didn't necessarily work out the same way. Um, so I think he, he does have some of that in mind, but I don't think it's anything as overt as like being like, well, Baba got burned in the early 90s and decided to isolate his promotional way and just focus on his guys. Um, I think, though, on some level, like, it it was a rejection of what had been the standard operating procedure of the European scene previously to that. Um, less so in mainland Europe and in Germany than in the United Kingdom. Um, but it's it, it, was a, it was a period of time in which, like, Walter came up when people were getting flown over to beat everybody. And it's, and it's specifically funny because I think Walter was one of the few exceptions that almost constantly beat his flying opponents. Um, but it, I think it's something that like he learned to enjoy less and less uh, based on like how those people worked. And he wanted to build something of his own. Um, and the academy is a big part of this, and I, and I think moving forward, we're just going to see more and more of that if this if this thing does take off. As of yet, they they have like they said they have something like a stupid number of students, like yeah, seventy. They've over a hundred. Because keep keep in mind, like the WFW Academy has like dorms and stuff that they have where the um, students stay in, and people and in, like and pe- yeah, and people that are, that are um, doing European excursions stay in those dorms too. And like, um, there hasn't been a whole lot of. Uh, there haven't been very many products of that as of yet. Julian Pace, I think, is really the only guy who's who's come out of there yet, and he's uh, fine. And he's uh, you know you know Vet Mueller, um, sure, yeah, yeah. Uh, Bobby Guns is probably Bobby Guns. Marius. I mean, even though I think Marius would, has, I feel like he's I feel like he's been around for the Academy era, but maybe a tad too long to say he's a, an Academy product. Yeah, this Guns Bobby, Bobby Bobby was around before it. No, he was he was around before. I mean, yeah, because I think Bobby Guns been... is 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 really their top young dude, along with Ilya Dragunov, and he feels homegrown. I'd, I'd say, as far as like Academy products, the one to point to is, Fran- is Francis Cosby. Oh like, yeah, the, like yeah, totally. the one that we know for sure wasn't was an Academy guy. Totally, uh, but it's like as much as um, I I sort of want to resist the All Japan. A comparison, if only because I think that's a curse, <laughs> and and we saw exactly where that led that company in the end. Oh yeah, it's, um, not, it's but, not it's not a good thing, but I think yeah. seeing as like and also like pro, like they have the re- relationship with Progress, they have a decent relationship with G with GWF in uh, Berlin. So mm-hmm. seeing how oh no, it's 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 just noticeable because of what WXW was, and. Yeah. I don't think that's a coincidence as like Walter is running the school and becoming bigger and bigger that WXW starts to feel more uh, belief in their core roster of guys um, doing shotgun tapings in a a small intimate venue as opposed to uh, doing their tapings whenever they tour, which Mm. I think was a minor change that a lot of people didn't really pick up on. But I think the big thing here for me is 
seeing Walter as the big guy um, across all independent scenes. You could argue that Joey Janela is the biggest star um, in the United States right now, as far as any guys who are not signed anywhere. But I'd say worldwide, Walter is probably the biggest name that we have. And at the rate this is going, with the European scene still being the biggest uh, uh, hotbed for wrestling at the moment, as the U.S. indie scene is still in a recovery mode, do you think that Germany has a chance to become a wrestling hotbed, so to speak, as the years go on and as Walter stays uh, in the spotlight and as one of the most recognized wrestlers in the world? Germany itself, you said? Yeah, Germany itself. It, I think it's a difficult thing to predict. Um, we've seen lately WXW working with the existing German promotions, uh, much smaller things that get next to little next to no buzz internationally um full of guys i've never heard of uh, promotions i've never heard of um and it's like i i i think about like how the uk scene exploded practically overnight um and ireland followed them as well and has been one of the better things the last couple of years in wrestling um and i think it's totally possible but like part of me Part of me is just worried that, like, we're no longer in a climate in which things can pop off like that. That if anyone does get any sort of buzz, they're going to get signed up by one of the major promotions worldwide. And that, like, go ahead. I think it was important to note, too, that that Germany is not a primarily English-speaking country. And unless you have a noted history that goes back decades like Japan, your scene is going to have a lot harder popping off with an English-speaking audience than the UK and Ireland. I think that's not remarked upon enough. Like, would WXW even have this level if they didn't have an English commentary feed for all of their matches, you know? Totally. And for that reason, I think if we're going to look at mainland Europe, someplace like Amsterdam and, like, the whole Netherlands scene is more likely to, to pop off because it's it's got a higher population of English-speaking peoples. But, like, it's... I don't know. Whether it's, whether it's like, I look at the people who aren't the top flight WXW people and think about like whether or not they're going to be able to carry the promotion moving forward. And I think about uh, where we're at with signings worldwide and, and where we're at with like people being for the most part, unwilling to watch anything that isn't English speaking wrestling. It's I don't like it could happen, but I don't think it's going to happen. Right. The other thing too and, is Walter probably isn't going to be around forever right, right. so probably not that much longer i think we're going to talk about that a little later but is is there a more in-demand wrestler in the world from the major promotions that isn't currently signed to one i would say no i mean and, and the guy is progress champion he's pwg champion he's a he's ott champion i mm. mean that's that's ridiculous um where he i think he's the you know janella is probably the king of the indies in terms of the He's everywhere and he's, you know, he's the representative face of, of really what the American indie scene is. But like if you were going to look at major indies and, and what gets the most buzz, I think Walter is the king of the indies right now. And that almost makes him the most in-demand wrestler from the major promotions. And I don't know how much longer he will put that off. Mm. And does what happens to WXW without Walter? He's such a, he's as important a part of them as Christian or Taz or, or anybody. Um, what happens to them when he's gone? Does he leave for good or is he there part-time? There's a lot of questions we don't know the answer to. And 
that's something that's recently come up um, in The Observer and, you know, the story of Walter being courted in several other places has uh, been a talking point for uh, all of 2018, it seems, it seems. And before we get to that stuff, which will be towards the end of the show, is that with how big and full Walter's plate is right now, with him being courted by both WWE and New Japan, the the traveling he's doing between, you know, appearing in Canada, the United States, uh, his native Germany, England, uh, and other, and like all over the world, is that do you continue to trust this guy as the figurehead of WXW and of the WXW Academy? Because, um, obviously Timothy Thatcher has come to the fold as being one of the trainers at the WXW Academy. So maybe this is a little conspiracy theory-esque, but do you think that maybe we could see like Timothy Thatcher becoming the head guy at the Academy as Walter might see himself doing other things if he picks up a full-time schedule somewhere? It's, um, it's funny that we're even talking about this because um, I, I can recall distinctly back in 2016, uh, those of us who were WXW fans back then talking about the fact that like um walter like hated pwg (laughs) that like walter like had made very specific comments about like not not enjoying that like wider independent style especially in 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 the west yeah he made made very clear um comments on flash mugger webster's wrestling friends podcast uh doing it with uh Dieter jr about how he doesn't want to work anywhere if there is not a story involved yeah. and the and when he talks about stories and where he works keep my mind progress in wfw or, or where he was working primarily at the time and the progress for better or for worse like has a reputation for being like one of the more story-driven independent promotions that exist right now so totally so as more progress bookings are getting proposed to walter he's taking them you know under the impression like you know what these guys do stories, they tell stories, they have purpose in what they do. So I'm going to go over here and I'll become one of the more regular guys. And I think the philosophy may have changed once he realized how in demand he was. I think it well, might also that... be it might also be that, you know, you don't take if, if you're somebody with his perspective, you don't take PWG bookings unless you're using it to get somewhere else whether that be WWE or, or New Japan or, or whatever it ends up being. But to me, the, the PWG run in particular, but a lot of his, his independent stuff, has a very distinct flavor of, this is my audition tape. I I do agree with that. Like, I think that is, there is a lot of truth to that. But, like, I, I think about how the man has presented himself in podcast as quentin said and how he's spoken in this wxw 10 series and and specifically like made um made some really direct hints at saying like hey if i if i want to go somewhere and make some money for a couple years i'm not unwilling to do that because this is a job for me um but but at the same time like i i think about just having seen and listened to the guy for like 10 years and knowing what matters to him and it would be it would be weird to me if he ever did leave the academy in any it, like it would be weird to me if he left the academy completely 
Mm-hmm. And that's why I'm thinking that, and like the news came out that after turning down like several full-time contracts that WWE had offered him, they wound up offering him a WWE UK deal, which obviously allows people to be a little bit more so fle- flexible in contract. It's it's insane. Like they're like, uh, all right, man, you don't want to full-time full-time, but how, how about this? Like, Do you want less money? They want him <laughs> so badly. Yeah. Yeah. So he worked access. They they want him <laughs> so badly. So they're, off, they're offering him this UK contract, and and um, theoretically that would leave him the room to still run the WSW Academy and uh, take independent dates and all that stuff. Mm. But yeah, it's something where I'm not sure, and I really don't. It would be hard for me to imagine a WSW Academy, WSW Academy without Walter heading it. But yeah. it's just something that at least needs to get confronted on some level right now when you see the stature of Walter currently in this wrestling scene. I just want to say if if he does end up leaving, uh, I hope they go back to deathmatch wrestling. I think the ideal for him might be to be on Zack's New Japan schedule, right? Where he's not there all the time, but he tours with them, you know. Well, Zach, Zach is quote-unquote full-time. He's on a full-time deal, I think, but he's still he's still... You know, he shows up in other places. Yeah, it takes dates elsewhere. A little bit more than a guy, even like a guy like Ishii or, or Minoru Suzuki. Um, I think Walter, you know, could be it if he could be in Germany half the time and in Japan the other half. I, you know, maybe that works out for him. Yeah, it, it it like I just I I question whether or not he actually does want. Yeah, and like he says, he says in the in the the series, Japan was the goal for him. I don't know if it still is, you know? Yeah. So I'm not here to dictate the guy's personal life or whatever. Um, but uh, it's going to be interesting in the next year or two to see how he copes with the demand. Because I think WXW is at a point structurally, not a, not in the on-screen product, but structurally, I think they really need him. Um, to get back to Walter's rise as the last year and a half have gone on and we ran through his 2017 and the 2018 and didn't have a a quiet first quarter of the year. You know, he's Walter, WXW, he's getting match after match, whether it be on TV, the big shows, um, uh, like Back to the Roots, Dead End, 16 Carat. The guy was having a lot of good matches. But when we get to WrestleMania weekend, this is where I think the fever pitch of Walter reaches its high. Mm. And the match that we have to mention here is Walter versus PCO from Joey Janela Spring Break 2. We are doing this, huh? And I think when we talk about the Ilya formula and how future iterations of it got pretty derivative and kind of like missing what made the Ilya match so special. I think this match is like the biggest knock against him against, against a guy like Walter, even though he tries his best with a guy like PCO. Uh, Now, does he? (laughs) Like, like I, I, I question that. And, And it's not, and it's not because I think, it's it's not because I hate the match. I do hate the match, but that's not why I'm saying this. It's like 
it's weird. This wasn't the first match these two had had. Like, the PCO weirdly had, had done some stuff in WXW before. Yeah, they had a match in, like, 2008. Yeah, like, a long time ago. Walter loves and, the guy. Uh, yeah. Speaks and, super highly of him. And it's, and it's odd, because, like, before this big career resurgence, people did have something of a reverence for PCO as, like, this were, as this real, um, unsung workhorse of, of the independent scene and of the mid-90s WWF for a couple of years. Um, but it's like I watch that match and like I don't I don't see that respect and I don't see that careful hand and I don't see someone who's trying to have a good match with a friend. Like I see someone who's like scared and and unwilling to really confront uh what is clearly happening. I agree. I thought he looked super uncomfortable in there. The whole thing was uncomfortable, right? But yeah. Yeah. but but the the thing is there, it's almost see what's really unique about this is that I would I would wager that over half of the people who will listen to this really liked the match. And and for the three of us it didn't work for one reason or another. But it's I don't want to say it's a point in his favor for something I didn't like, but it was another example of Walter and his presence and his formula getting somebody over to a degree that they otherwise would not have reached. Sure. Like, if 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 that was Riddle in there, I don't think... Oh, yeah, no. I, I think he's the there. guy that had to be in that match. And, and again, I didn't like the match. It didn't work on that level for me. I know it didn't work on that level for either of you guys, but it did for a lot of people. So, while it wasn't an example I would bring up to display that point, I think it does speak to Walter being a guy who can get other people over to a, to a degree that they otherwise would not get to. Right. And that's something that like, even if I don't like the match, you have to acknowledge here is that coming out of spring break, like that's the only match people talk about from that show. And like the, like the opening scramble match is really fun. Uh, jo- yeah. Joey, yeah. Joey versus Sasuke. There's a quack and Bush versus star match on there. That's good. But that's the match people talk about from that show. Mm-hmm. And even if that doesn't speak to us, it's a testament to Walter and Walter's presence and what Walter's presence, you know, I get like seemingly brought out of PCO and his connection with the audience that weekend. And from there, I think we're off to the races. Uh, Atlas, Atlas title reign has already been in swing for a few months. I kind of glossed over it, but he's had, he's had, he's had the match with Timothy Thatcher that, I would probably call the best match of progress history, uh, the Mark Davis match from February, in uh, getting more getting more steam in PWG as this is where uh, the title belt is uh, currently in a hot potato situation. Uh, Ricochet won the belt in December. Ricochet is on his way to WWE. Chuck Taylor wins the belt back. Chuck Taylor then loses the belt to Keith Lee. Keith Lee is on his way to, is, is on his way to WWE. So there's a triple threat between Keith Lee, Jonah Rock, and Walter, in which Walter went to PWG title. So in really quick succession, we have Walter having this dominant title reign in progress and seemingly getting moved up into a world title program of Travis Banks to him winning the PWG title. And everything is just really just coming out of nowhere and creating like this perfect storm for this guy. Where whether PWG is your favorite indie or whether or not you're a really big progress fan, 
or your your person that's watching everything, Walter's everywhere and Walter is important everywhere. And it was hard to miss uh, miss the guy or to deny him. It's I get I get hung up on on a statement like it's hard to deny him. Um, maybe it's just a contrarian point in my body somewhere where it's just like you no, contrarian you want. really rock <laughs> never never at all. I do resist that, but yeah. Um, uh, it it's like I don't know. Like maybe maybe it's just it, maybe it's just these matches with PCO and 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 the way that like people at large are are coming to embrace the guy as as he's getting a little more stale in my eyes and as I dive deep into him in preparation for this podcast and and not find the evidence that I thought was there previously it's it is becoming increasingly easier for me to deny him but like I don't know in, in on some level if like if I zoom out and and take the big picture like they just they do seem like small problems but small problems are the sorts of things that like separate really good wrestlers from the great wrestlers. Right. And admittedly, I had a lot of those same problems too. And it's a lot, it's a lot of why this podcast uh, even happened in the first place is that we were both in a place where we were really conflicted on our Walter thoughts and seeing so many people go crazy for the guy. And we're going to touch on this in a little bit being sort of viewed as the consensus wrestler of the year, like everywhere you look, you feel on the outside looking in and it feels strange, even though you know you love the guy and you know you enjoy watching him. It's just you feel like you're on the outside looking in and that really gets frustrating. But Evan, for you, as this is where your wrestling fandom outside of WWE starts to pick up, uh, what are your thought? What were your thoughts on seeing Walter just sort of pop up everywhere as uh, the first half of the year went on? Well, I mean, to me, you know, Brock, I know you're not a contrarian. You're a person. You're not a sheep, and I appreciate that about you. It's one of the reasons I love you. But the 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 thing he just, I think nobody really denied him in the industry in terms of that he's a guy who is really popular, who is over everywhere he goes and who's in a, you know, and this is a knock against him, um, is in a role that is, that is, if you're of his size is fairly easy to excel in. He wins totally. a lot. He is dominant. He works on top. He, and, and now I think he's the best in the world at it. And I think that the reason he gets as over as he does is because of how good he is at it, but it's not exactly a difficult role, uh, in which to get over. And it's a role that a promoter loves to book. Like Quentin was saying, PWG really needed stability around the title. So Walter's in there. He has brought stability to the title. And he's super over doing something that's totally antithetical to the premise of the promotion. And that makes him a compelling champion because he's something different for that audience. He's, he's, he's doing something that not a lot of guys were doing. And he does it at a level that's higher than everybody else. And and that's what kind of stuck out to me. Um, and it, it doesn't surprise me at all that he's being booked everywhere once you see what he could do. Um, because he fills a desirable role. And he is really, really good at it. And he's you know, in that role, he's almost guaranteed to get over. So it, it doesn't and, – and to the point that we've been making, or at least I've been making the whole time, um, your guy looks better – against Walter, struggling against Walter, than against anybody else. 
in OTT. Jordan Devlin is is way more, and I like Jordan Devlin a lot. He's way more interesting in OTT than he is anywhere else because he's struggling against Walter. Um, in in PWG, Sammy Guevara, a guy that I think is really talented, but he's clearly young. You know, he's he's you know he he's so much more compelling against Walter. That's you know there he's a guy you can bring in. And I, I, how about progress at Wembley at the end of the month? Tyler Bate, while he's no longer really their guy, um, you know, he's going to be extremely compelling against Walter in the main event of that Wembley show. Uh, that, to me, is such an asset. Like, if I were a promoter, that's absolutely a guy I would want to bring in and stick my belt on for, for a few months to get my own guy over. So I, I totally get it, and, and you know, I, I think it makes a lot of sense that he's in the position he's in. The one knock I would have on Walter, and again, I'm not really sure like how hard I can go for this when the matches were over and it had a good atmosphere, is that both times versus Travis Banks for the world title, I feel like what we're, if we're talking about about how much this guy elevates people and makes people much more interesting, and you know, there's going to depend on your mileage on Travis Banks. But Travis Banks is a guy I've seen have good matches and great matches with people like. Um, Zach Gibson and Tyler Bate and Zach Sabre Jr., where he works to the level of the guys in front of him, um, or they for, or they or they force him to bring something out of himself. I don't think Walter, even in those two title matches, really is forcing Travis Banks to do anything uh, to elevate himself to elevate the title, uh, and that's part of the story that they were telling. Uh, the fans getting sick of the title reign and whatever else. But if I was to put a blemish on Walter's year, it'd be that even in this big year for him where he's become the Atlas champ and then the progress champ, which he's the first guy to do that, is that he sort of drops the ball in his title match. See, I'm really inclined to blame the booking there and give him a pass. Um, I'm not a big Travis Banks fan anyway. But, 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 you know, the guy was failed by the story that they told with him where they basically actively encouraged people not to want to watch him. And then they did that really stupid count-out finish at uh, Super Strong Style instead of just pulling the trigger right there, which they totally should have done, especially after Walter vacated the Atlas title so that he could win the world title. Everyone came out of that looking worse. And by the time Walter ended up winning the title, nobody cared anymore. Um, and I, I'm, I'm much more, I haven't seen the actual title switch match, so I guess I'll, I'll, I can't really judge that one. Uh, I did see the, 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 the first one and yeah, it was an uninspired Walter performance. I, I agree. Um, but, but I think the booking really, really let both guys down in that situation, uh, more than anything else. Anything to add on that point, Brock? I don't, I don't think so. Like I, I do recognize that the guy has a lot of utility, um, he might not be utilit- utilitarian. I'm not sure if I'm even using this correctly. Um, like he might not have a variety of utility in the way that I would like to see from the people who I describe as having this utility. But like he's a guy who plays a role and he does it very well. Um, and and there's like a lot of value in that. There's a value in in someone like Kane, in someone like Mike Knox, in someone like uh, the Barbarian. And it's just. Um, I don't think Walter's like on that level of those three guys, but it's 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 a question of like as time goes on and as he leans 
further into what the people at large want to see from him i worry that he just gets into that sort of situation where i'm just like oh it's just another walter match maybe i'm gonna love it there's like a one in ten chance that i'm gonna love it like top 10 match of the year adore it but those other nine times it's like okay i've seen this before well it's also i don't i think that will change right i mean it's a fast it's a fast-paced industry and I think Quentin wants to talk about this a little bit later. This might be a decent time to segue to it. People turn on acts that don't evolve very quickly. Um, I don't think Walter's at that point yet, but if he's still doing the same shit in a year, he very well could be, especially if he keeps winning uh, all over the place and keeps racking up all these belts and keeps beating all these popular homegrown guys. Mm. Could that happen? Totally. Totally. Uh, you know, people's, people's attention spans is, are so short. Um, and, and it absolutely could happen to him. And, you know, he may, I I hope he's in a situation where, while he still feels special to me at this moment, he may, he he doesn't feel quite as special to me as he did back in May or so. And in another six months, you know, he, he will almost certainly feel less special doing the same thing because that's, that's the law of diminishing returns. So Mm -hmm. hopefully he's forced to evolve into something else. And because I know he's capable of it, we have evidence of it. So, you know, what is the next step for Walter? We can't predict that. But I don't think he's going to be doing the same shit that he's doing now at the end of next year. I, I think there will be some sort of evolution and change in the character uh, that, that you know, it, it might be subtle. But I think that, you know, because he's, he's always going to play the same role. But I think there may be, you know, tweaks here that keep him interesting and I, I, if there's not, then 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 sure, you know, then then your concerns are validated. But I certainly hope and think uh, that he will make those tweaks uh, as time goes by to to keep the act fresh. Because I do think Walter cares that his his art is good, so to speak. Um, and uh, I I do see him adjusting it um, to uh, to to keep it fresh and to keep it interesting. I, I will say though. That I do think there's a good chance that Walter himself doesn't change in the next year if he has a change of scenery, i.e., changing to, uh, i.e., having a new Japan. Yeah, sure. So if if that is something that isn't that's happening in the near future, then I think we're going to see a lot more um, of the Walter we're getting now, and maybe in a more um, even more reductive because way. that company or WWE wherever he ends up, and I think it's more likely to be New Japan is going to bring him in to be the guy that you can sum up in five words, right? Mm-hmm. Chops really hard is unstoppable. You know that that's um, that's not five. Yes, it was. Chops really hard is un. Oh, Did you think me, unstoppable? Fuck me! Was fuck, me. <laughs> fuck me! I thought it was two words. <laughs> It's the syllables thing all over again. <laughs> it totally is. Um, but 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 yeah, it's uh you know that's what New Japan would be buying. Uh, that's what WWE would be buying. And, and yeah, I, I think that's a great point. And mm. uh, I, I I think it will happen. So yeah, that's true. I didn't really think of that. That's what they would be buying. Absolutely. So I guess it's mm. down to him and WXW where he has been a little bit different this year. That's the place where he's going to have to like continue experimenting. I think. Uh, to get to this point that you had mentioned that I had uh, written down for us to discuss, and that's the idea of the shiny new toy in wrestling. And I have yet to title this episode. By the time it's up, obviously it'll have a name, but 
the reason why Walter was the center of discussion for us is that there's been so many different shiny new toys to come to come down to Pike in independent wrestling in the last few years. You know, your Davy Richards, your Eddie, your Eddie Edwards, your Zach Sabre Jr., your Sammy Callahan's, Travis Banks, Will Ospreys, Marty Scurls have all come down, have all been darlings in one respect or another. And uh, we're seeing it somewhat in a Marco stunt, but that's even even then that's a weird oh, one to even even throw in there. Um, but as far as like a, like a traditional darling, um, Walter is the next guy, next next guy in that line, and you can go through each guy, um, that I just named, and you can start to see, you know, on social media or even in the live crowds when the narrative starts to change around them, and that's when they're getting sick of the act, they're getting sick of the matches, they're getting sick of, you know, forcing themselves to cheer for the guy, like. And this goes back to Evan's point about wrestling fans at this point having such little attention spans. I'm not sure it's attention spans. I think, obviously, like, as people like us have grown up in wrestling, people like younger people, we've grown we've grown to have wrestling that's changing and changing and changing constantly. So, as we're going to independent wrestling and we're seeing guys having, like, year-long title reigns and two years or whatever, like, doing the exact same character... Well, we're coming from worlds of uh, American wrestling television. That's not exactly what we're getting. So to see these people be stuck in a rut or stuck on a treadmill and not really going anywhere with their character or what they're offering, people turn on it quicker than um, I think they do in WWE or Impact. And... Something that concerns me with Walter is the fact that all the shiny new toys, they don't get criticized, but then when they do get criticized, you see that these guys maybe have a little bit thinner skin than we initially thought they would or thought they did because they've been the darling for so long. They've been loved. They've been getting booked everywhere. Everyone cheers them and they get the exact reaction they're wanting. They're wanting every single time. And then when they're not, it frustrates these guys. So I guess we really need to discuss like the aspect of shiny new toys and wrestling and as fans giving guys passes for being the new hot thing and being willing to be being willing to gloss over uh, flaws and holes in their game or anything else because we're so focused on making this person a big star. I can't speak on the matches because I haven't seen them, but something like a bandito and I like bandito and I think he's a talented, fun wrestler to watch, but I can't deny that it feels like people sort of forced bandito into being, Oh yeah, he's going to be the next big guy. So how is it like, how did this correlate into Walter and your perception of him, Brock. So, um, a big, a big, uh, commonality between a lot of the people that you listed there, I think is that a lot of those, um, shiny new toys of the last decade or decade and a half have been people who are naturally really hot headed. Um, Davey Richards, especially a little less so like Eddie Edwards, but, but Sammy Callahan, Marty Skrull, uh, Will Ospreay, definitely people who have, uh, 
proven themselves to be a little hot under the collar um, and are not afraid to vocalize that. Um, and I think Walter, at least in that regard, has has a better chance of navigating those waters of, of people criticizing him though. I mean, who knows? Like he does have a Twitter and anything could happen. Well, Walters has, Walters has some questionable tweets before. This is true. Uh, Walter is a cop, like very much. So, (laughs) um, (laughs) that's sort of not what we're getting at, but yeah. Um, then that can only, that could only continue really. But I, I definitely do think there is going to be a point where people turn on him. Um, if only because, uh, people already are doing it um i'm an example of that and i'm i'm i don't want to say that i'm like ahead of the curve on this sort of thing usually but i i know that like where there's smoke there's fire and i'm there's already some smoke surrounding this guy and really like even like even if i don't want to use you for an example like if i went back and looked at your uh 2015 year end stuff like you're speaking fairly highly of marty scurl yeah i I really i i thought it's it's funny. Scrolls like such a specific instance in which it's like I appreciated his shtick because it was so professional. It was like this guy. I appreciated him the same way that I appreciate Colt Cabana. Like that guy does not have to work hard, and I think there's something um, appealing in that. And then as Scroll, I think decided he also wanted to do some spot fest wrestling. On top of that, I became less of a fan. And as uh, information leaked out right. and things um but that's sort of what i'm getting at here is that when we look at these guys it's that in like you know this this only go it goes like little like little sections of the wrestling fandom but i mean it does lead to someone like davy richards not being able to come back to ring of honor sure you know it leads to someone like eddie edwards you know not coming back to ring of honor it leads to someone like sammy callahan you know in a lot of ways, like AW has, you know, they have their own stuff going on and Sammy is very much involved politically, but Sammy Callahan not being able to work like a whole bunch of other places. Mm. And I don't think Walter is as disruptive as those guys, which is a big part of that. But at the same time, you always got to account for what fans are going to do regardless of like your real life personality. Someone totally. like Travis, someone like Travis Banks, um, you know, we like we we joke about it, but he he had his little thing on Twitter with on Twitter with Brandon and came across like a dick. But for the most part, Travis Banks has always come across like a good dude. Mm. He's come across like a genuine, likable dude, an interesting story. You're glad he succeeded and all that stuff. There's no reason to dislike Travis Banks. And even with all that, and people and with the English wrestling uh community being so um insular and close knit. And like every like everybody knows everybody. Everybody has like personal information. Everybody listens to this, watches the same shows, and hang out together and all that stuff. It's a little strange to see how how quickly people turn on Travis, while they all know Travis is a good dude. And you could say that's a reflection of progress being bad and progress booking him bad. Like I like I would definitely say that's more the case with it, but. As wrestling fans, we know that they aren't like the wrestlers aren't the ones booking this stuff. We know that wrestlers aren't the ones in charge of. Oh yeah, um, they're booing you, so we're just gonna lean into that. And TK Cooper is gonna come out and interfere interfere in your matches now. So, as this is happening, 
I know that I'm someone that always empathizes with the wrestlers first mm. because I always I always recognize that you know unless it's a promotion where it's very clear that wrestlers are like allowed to do what they want to do and that they're in charge of their own shit for the most part, then I'm not gonna blame a guy. But a lot of fans aren't like that. A lot of fans are quick to jump at anything they can to get a guy out of here. So, you know, and, and, and word travels fast too. And uh, a Walter, you know, a, a Walter match or decision that happens that people are not are not fond of, that's gonna travel rather quickly. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what we're getting. That's what we need to talk about here too. Is that with Walter's whole thing about the chops and you know giving, giving the crowds what they want. Is there a point in time where that, oh my God, Walter finally, he chopped him, he chopped him, he finally got him. He's going to be like, oh, Walter chopped some, Walter chopped him. Big oh, totally. deal. Yeah. Totally. Well, not even that. I think like, I think there's a very real chance he hurts somebody someday and it's somebody that people care about. And mm. that's going to, that's going to set Yeah, him. that's he's totally gonna, possible. We'd be really bad. He's mm. going to, he's going to cave, he's going to cave Jack Sexsmith's lung. He's gonna, he's, gonna, he's gonna fucking kill Chris Brooks, and people are gonna like lose their mind. Totally, and it, it, it'll be it'll be like Walter's dangerous, and, and there may be some truth to that sort of idea, and and there'll be a huge blowback, and there'll be a blowback against the blowback. We all know how it'll go, but it's it's a it's a foregone conclusion, really. Mm-hmm. Do you think like Walter is? I'm not gonna say like above it, but do you think he has the foresight? To understand that is a real that's a real possibility because like a lot of people kind of like don't understand the positions they're in a lot of the time yeah. until they're there and then shit shit hits the fan. I, I I I don't know. I agree with Evan that I think he is a real smart guy. Um, right. I don't think he's necessarily all that internet savvy. I think yeah. That's that's what yeah. I'm thinking here. It's not, it's not about like real like real life smarts. It's about like internet savvy, understanding like how quickly. The internet can turn on you. His perspective comes into play here, though, right? He's not sentimental about any of this. And I'm not sure that beyond, oh, hey, I'm making good money for me and my wife. Maybe we can go get that farmhouse someday. I don't think he's so attached to his newfound stardom that he's, you know, he's going to freak out like Will Ospreay when somebody does the eyes emoji at a gif of him. Right, right. right. Oh, oh, Evan, you say gif. Yeah, of course I do. That's what the guy who made it says. All right, all right, all right, all right. right. Hold on. I I think Evan got to a really good point here, even while while that wasn't the point he was making, (laughs) is that while Walter isn't someone that's, like, so attached to what he does, he views it as a job, if if people start coming at Walter and he, like, you Mm. know, brushes it off, this guy could easily come across as a like entitled he doesn't care like internet, you know a, a lot thing. of people who who were talking about that would turn on him um not you guys but but like you know the community at large really doesn't like that attitude that oh i view it as a job that's what i'm saying like he would like if he did that and that would and he got some blowback and his response is to shrug it off now this guy comes across as brock lesnar totally yeah that that could be that could be an issue or if in some way um because I think he views this as a job so much, um, I think if at some point his lack of popularity leads to him losing money, like he could explode or something. But like at the same time, as we're talking about all of this, I I, 
I think back to the stuff that I was viewing for this podcast, and it's like the guy, like the guy, really used to be despised by the WXW fan base. And granted, right. there's a huge difference between 150, 200, 300 people in these like German bars and the internet, but like I, I think the guy has proven himself to work well under fire, um, especially at a young age in which a lot of people don't do that well. Um, and so like, I would hope, I would hope that unless something really insane happens that he would be okay. I also would say that with the list of guys that, that Quentin started this part of the conversation with, some of them have gone past the shiny new toy phase and have continued to be successful even mm. after a certain segment of the audience turned on them. Will Ospreay is probably the best example of this. Will Ospreay has, you know, has reacted unbelievably poorly to a lot of his criticism. Uh, Will Ospreay has a dedicated section of our community that strongly dislikes him. Will Ospreay is also an incredibly successful wrestler that can get booked anywhere he wants, has a, has a, a deal with a major company, and is starting his own promotion. Yeah. So, you know, they're, they're, I think Walter is closer to the Will Ospreay, Zack Sabre Jr. end of the spectrum than the Davey Richards, Sammy Callahan end of the spectrum, where he has so much buzz and has such a, a loyal fan base, and I can't personally, I would include myself among that number, um, that that he will he will forever be able to have success, even when inevitably a segment of the fan base will turn on him. Mm. Uh, go to Brock's point about him being able to stay cool under fire, uh, under like with these hostile early WXW crowds. I both are aware that this guy, you know, is a heel. So I like, I wonder like if the guy was in a position that, like that Travis Banks was in with this guy is like having this match with Matt Riddle and because of how the match was laid out and a couple, uh, you know, fighting spirit and, you know, one count kickout spots, like had the crowd eye rolling and the finish of the match. When you don't get the desired reaction, how will you handle it? And I think that's something that, um, separates guys is like, you know, Davey, like, like with Davey Richards and Kevin Steen and that whole story, you can argue, that there was no antagonist there other than Jim Cornette. Mm-hmm. But I think I think for the most part, like Kevin Steen was meant to get booed for most of it. But Kevin Steen was what the crowd wanted. So Davey Richard, who's been the consummate uh company man and has worked his way from the bottom and won the belt final and all of that stuff, like now it's like yet yeah, no f- no fuck you, Davey. We we want Steen. So I think like when you get to a point where you have to adapt and change to the crowd wanting something else. And I think that's what separates guys. That's what separates, you know, guys like John Cena and Tanahashi. I think that's what even like separates a guy like Kazuchika Okada is that he can see that those guys can see like when they need to change something. And I think the next step for Walter, at least for me, that I haven't seen from him yet is when what you're trying to attempt to give the crowd doesn't work. How do you change and fix but that? Is it even time for that yet? Where right. where is right. he working? Where yes, there is smoke, but where is he working now? Where he isn't largely over, or mm. it, it doesn't mm. feel like a special, you know, like a special attraction and a a major wrestler. I don't think he's really seen a need to do anything just yet. I think yeah. this is something that will be more relevant in six months to a year. But at, mm. at this point, I don't I don't think now should he get out ahead of the curve. Like a guy, you know, like the guys you mentioned. Yeah, probably. Um, 
But but I I would totally understand if you talked to him about it and he was like, well, I'm getting booked everywhere. I'm over everywhere. Um, I don't see the issue. Mm. And, and there isn't an issue, but it's a thing where, you know, Brock mentioned, like, you don't want to give himself credit for being out of the curve, but, you know, when there's, when there's smoke, there's fire, and you can see the writing on the wall. Yeah, absolutely. Sometimes. Even with, like, with, John, with, say, Johnny Gargano. With the whole Johnny Gargano, Tommaso Ciampa stuff, like, we went from Johnny Gargano, oh, my God, like, he's the best baby face in wrestling. Uh-huh. No, Like, you know, best WWE match of all time. No one sells like Johnny Gargano. All that shit. And then by June of this year, it's, oh, my fucking God, Johnny Gargano is so corny and melodramatic. And this is over-the-top WWE drama in HBK, Shawn Mike. Like, yeah, like, like insanely quickly from the same people that champion in two that months champ, that champ, from the same people that champion almas gargano and the first champa gargano and granted i'm not saying that you have to that if you like the first champa gargano then you're wrong for thinking the first that the next two are bad or anything like that but you're getting the exact same johnny gargano that you've been getting as far as like what the character is he's a loser he's someone that has to fight and claw and sell and scratch and all that in order to, you know, he gets his one, he gets his one big win versus Champa and he gets his, uh, win versus Velveteen Dream, but the guy is a loser. So to suck, so, so to suddenly be like, oh yeah, Johnny Gargano is such a loser and a dweeb all these months later was like, isn't that, isn't that just what you love? That's him? so class to me and, too. And it's it, but but see that won't happen to Walter because Walter always wins. Yeah. Well, no, but it's it's just, it's the same side. It's the, it's a different side of the same coin. It's it's just like there needs to be. Yeah, this guy's so doing the people. same thing. Sure. Yeah, like it's 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 not it's not necessarily that people are going to be like, oh, this motherfucker's corny. But it's it's like it's what same I said, old like, shit. Oh, shit. Yeah, seen, yeah. It's, I've seen this shit. Yeah, like it's it's the nine times out of ten that like this doesn't this doesn't hit me like it right. Used to. I think I would be more inclined to believe that Walter was on a path that, like, he doesn't have to, he wouldn't have to worry about this for, like, another six, nine months. But I think seeing how quickly it happened to Johnny Gargano does put in perspective, like, how quickly all of that WWE is a lot more visible, and it also lends itself to people hot-taking more. Like, if I go, you know, if I'm sitting here in June or July and I go, oh, Johnny Gargano sucks, he's stale now, this is bad, I seem a lot more edgy than if I say, oh, Walter sucks, he's bad in, you know, which I know, you know, nobody's doing, but, you know, in, in September 2018, I feel like, you know, with, with WWE and NJPW specifically, because their fan bases have become so tribal, tend to attract that kind of hot takey, you know, let let me let me you know see what kind of opinion I can throw out there. I don't think all the criticism of Johnny Gargano is, or even most of it, has been motivated by that. But but that tends to happen a lot with with the shiny new toy wrestlers, so to speak. And I think that would be less sudden outside of WWE. Not so, not that I'm saying it's not coming for him because I think it is, but uh, I don't think it would be quite as dramatic as what's happened to. To Johnny Gargano or even to Roman Reigns, if, you know, a few years ago, um, I don't think it would be quite as sudden, uh, you know, or, or frankly, what might be happening to Kenny Omega right now. Um, <laughs> I, I don't think it's it's quite as sudden with Walter, but I, I don't disagree with either of you that it is coming 
and he's going to have to do something about it. Well, here's the thing. Like, if it's coming, is it wrong then to right now think that he isn't as good? Um, Not necessarily. I think you have a point where, you know, he he does the same thing very often. And you know, you know, we've talked about this a zillion times. I hate when people rely on nostalgia or, you know, lean back on their old standards. I want to see people innovate. I want to see people evolve. But the way that he, you know, the way that he allows other wrestlers to tell stories is so valuable to me in wrestling that I've seen so many different guys have their most interesting match with in Walter's formula says something to me that, hey, you know, this this formula might be something special. You know, Star Wars is a damn good formula. The Walter match is a damn good formula. You know what I mean? So yeah. th- that's 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 kind of where I'm coming from. But like, if that formula doesn't hit the chord for you that it does for me, totally. Because he, he is essentially having the same... See, I, I hate saying that he's having the same match because I don't... I would resist that. But, but he's having... He, he's playing the same role, and he's at, 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 at its at its core. It's, at its core, it's a lot of the same numbers. Yes, sure. So I, I think going beyond the possibility of people turning on Walter, let's delve into the fact of you know Walter feels special right now, and if people didn't necessarily turn on him, what if he stopped feeling stopped feeling special and people stopped caring? Because then that is another thing that takes away a lot from the mystique and aura of Walter is that he feels so big bad and dangerous and it's that once you've in like obviously like in the era of streaming services and um everything being so easy to watch if you're someone that's watching from ott to rev pro to pwg to progress to wxw you're watching and consuming so much walter during the year mm-hmm. so as walter continues to work all these places wouldn't it be wouldn't it be natural to assume that maybe that big special aura eventually fades? We'll talk about his booking too. Like in in three of the promotions where he appears the most regularly, he is the champion, and eventually he's going to have to lose. Um, you know, or or people will get sick of him. So that's that's certainly something to think about. I also don't think he's going to be working all these places for all that much longer. So I don't know if it's going to be a major issue um, if and when he locks himself down with somebody. He also is in a unique situation where he has a home promotion where he is so central to their history and their image that there's virtually nothing he could do that could dissuade that fan base from being all there for him because he is their guy. And once you're somebody's guy like that, that bond is almost impossible to break. And so he does have, and he speaks about this too in the in the, the Walter 10 series, he has a safety net that he can go back to. He's not going to go out there if he doesn't feel comfortable that he has a reliable, stable uh, you know, spot under all of that. And so I think Walter probably feels fairly secure in that if and when things do go south for him on the indies, he's either going to have signed with somebody or there's still plenty for him to do in Germany. Something that uh, I really want to touch on here uh, is not Walter specific, but the shiny new toy aspect that we have as wrestling fans. And 
I'm wondering, do you guys view this as necessarily a problem? You know, we've seen like how fast, you know, these things happen. Um, just last year, I could argue that the biggest act in wrestling for the first half, for, for the first half of 2017 was the South Pacific power trip and Travis Banks. And if we're, if we fast forward just a little over a year later, all of that is completely different through various reasons. Um, uh, TK Cooper getting injured, the, um, TK and Dahlia breaking up, TK, uh, being down in the mid card in progress, Travis Banks losing the belt, Travis, Travis being hurt. But that's how quickly things can change in wrestling. And to me, I'm trying to think, do you think that maybe we as fans, we sort of jump onto things and latch onto things and create our narratives a little too quickly and set people up to fail? Yes. Fundamentally, that is true. Like, um, maybe it's, I don't know. Part of me wants to say that that's just more likely to do as young people. All of us are under 25. Like we're, we're definitely still youthful wrestling fans on some level. Um, even if my knees always hurt. Um, but like, it's it, it's not something that I, I want to attribute to social media or the internet or just these damn kids these days. Like it's 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 just like I, I think as as the world has gotten more interconnected, as we've developed into a global village, as opposed to you know isolated pockets of people around the world. Like it's it's easier to share in a feeling that you might have just kept to yourself for a while. And it's easy to like metastasize that into a whole thing that then influences other people. And it's like, it's, it's really easy to become part of, um, a huge movement behind a wrestler or a movement against a wrestler or to see yourself excluded from either of those groups. And then, and then, and then, um, develop some very strong feelings because of that and it's like i think that's completely natural and i don't necessarily think it's always a bad thing because that natural process helps to bring other people in like there's uh, there's a lot of my wrestling friends are women or like young women and like I know for a fact that some of them wouldn't be watching this if, if that process didn't happen on Twitter or if they didn't like have friends in their life who were like, Hey, you should watch this with me or, or something. Or if, if they didn't get pulled into a huge, um, amalgamation of people that was just like running through the fucking internet. And like, I, it does have, it does have a drawback against it, but like it, that's not something we can stop. And I don't think we should stop it. But whether or not it's going to negatively affect someone like Walter, a guy that we all three of us really enjoy, I'm not sure. Well, the thing is, the problem with it is it's so tribal, right? And it's it's so reactive. It's the same thing with everything in the world today. Every I'm not a sociologist. I I don't. I'm not nearly smart enough to to speak on this fully. But it definitely seems as if the internet has turned everyone into needing to belong to you know not that this desire wasn't there but it's given people an ability to belong to a tribe and to 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 develop incredibly strong feelings of belonging and and so and 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 then following opinion leaders who are charismatic or credible or whatever and you get what i'm driving at 
people will will you know follow the leader and then there's the opinion and that's it and so much of wrestling fandom especially on twitter god bless it and 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 fuck it it's such the worst place in the world and i love it to death uh is is what you know what can i throw out there that's that's you know that's gonna be different you know what what will get me the you know the most adulation what will get me the most validation and and that i think is toxic I, I I really really do, and and I understand that it's brought people in. Fuck, I I got so behind Roman Reigns, I got stuck in it too. Yeah. Uh, it happens to everybody, but you know it, it's there's no room for nuance. There's no room for you know it's either this guy's great or this guy sucks. There's no room for well, hey, he does a lot of things really well. There's a couple of other things that frustrate me, and and so on and so forth. And frankly, that's why I enjoy your guys' podcast so much. Um, but you know, it's, it's like, I, I think, I think there's so little of that. And when we talk about, oh, well the, you know, people are going to turn on Walter. We're not talking about it. Like the way Brock, you find yourself perhaps, you know, falling out of love with him and, and merely accepting that there are some real flaws there that prevent you from getting, you know, as invested as you used to, they're going to turn on him and think that he's crap. And, and that, that's, that, that's so reductive and and toxic is the best word I can use for it and that 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 I can't stand and I I wish that there was a little bit more room for for us to speak about nuance and that it didn't just have to be what's the what's the the hottest thing that I can put out there at the same time like I like I'm believe me I'm never going to be a guy who's like no I want less nuance and everything um but at the same time like I I think the natural, the natural conclusion of that nuance is is a whole bunch of like, well, just let people like what they like, and I think that shit's reductive. Like, mm. I think that that completely like invalidates everything that I enjoy about wrestling fandom, and and I I worry that if if we were to try to combat this tribalism in any concerted way, it would just it would just. Well, I guess I wish it were more honest then. You know, sure. that, that people weren't, you know, you know, this is the narrative that, that I'm this kind of fan. I I need to follow this narrative and this has yeah. to be my opinion. Yeah. I think there's a lot because that emotional feeling, I can tell you, that emotional feeling is, is somewhat stronger than the way you really feel. That need to belong, that need to, 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 to follow the, the narrative or whatever is so, so strong. Um, and, and. I guess that that might be a better way to phrase it then is I, I wish, I wish it was a little bit more honest. Hmm. You no, know, like being someone that like, I kind of like think of myself as like detached from a lot of uh, the wrestling Twitter stuff that happens in a lot of ways. So as someone that's not been a part of that and like Evan, I think you mentally cut, like you, you say that you came in like looking to a certain section of WWE. Um, yeah. Years, I, I was a WWE night rest- once. Absolutely. Yeah, wrestling opinions. Do you do you mean like speaking from experience there that that need to like want to belong and looking in at all these threads and retweets and replies to people that you want to share like similar beliefs with? You know, that like wanting to fit in there was stronger than your like actual opinion. Yeah, like, like I, I, you know, I really, you know, I I got very attached to the idea that you know. uh 
WWE wasn't as I, I I still sort of think this that WWE isn't as bad as as its worst detractors make it seem. Uh, although I certainly don't think it's good. I think they're having a really bad year. Uh, but you know, it, it it became it became fun to you know, and I, I didn't really participate in it as much as I you know was sort of a voyeur, uh, probably because I didn't feel it quite as strongly as I wanted to um, to dunk on you know Kenny Omega or the Young Bucks is is such a flashpoint. Uh, or Cody Rhodes uh, versus your Roman Reigns and your John Cena's um, and, and even in a way your Johnny Gargano's. Um, I think, uh, you know, when the problem is, you know, I'm no, I'm no genius, but I am smart enough to realize when my intelligence is being insulted. And, you know, when Vince kicked me in the balls too many times, I was able to kind of step back from that. And, and I want more people to do that. <laughs> I guess that's so self-serving. Like I, 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 I hate that so much. Be more like me. <laughs> it makes me come off like such an asshole. But, but I mean, you know, I'm driving at. Like I, I just, I, I think, uh, I think people need to be a little bit more open-minded and a little bit more honest uh, about their fandom. Uh, and and I think that Walter, you know, bringing it back to that, will eventually be a victim uh, of that. Right now, he hasn't pissed anybody off. If he joins mm-hmm. New Japan, for instance. He will have pissed somebody off if he signs yeah. he'll, with uh, with the Fed. He'll have pissed somebody off, and uh, and a narrative will develop. Uh, so we'll uh, we'll have to see where that goes. So, like a lot of this podcast, like while it is centric on Walter, I do want to really get into perspective on your fandom, Evan, and the fandom of someone that you know you're not as so active on Twitter as a lot of other people are. A lot of like what happened with you and how you changed came from like within our small group. And I guess for you and what you were exposed to on Twitter and the section of Twitter that you were looking to for opinions and narratives and um, hot takes, so to speak, is that when you were entering what was then the wrestling with words um, chat and now whatever we call it. Um, hell <laughs> yes hell like you know it's like how for you like has that been an eye opener was it like frustrating at first from like what you were initially exposed yeah, to yeah totally and so like so like I guess like to speak on that stuff like how was like that transition for you and I guess like making you like into what you are now um, a sort of against that way of thinking on social media. Yeah, well, I mean, it's 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 like anything in life, you know. I, as I get older, I I I, you know, hope to try and become a better person and enjoy, you know, things a little bit more honestly that maybe I wasn't doing uh, when I was younger and dumber. Um, and I, I, you know, I I, I was really uh, intimidated by you guys at first. Uh, with and and you know, th- there's also a reaction to that from the. I guess the casual hardcore crowd, as there's an intimidation factor to to seeing all of this wrestling and all of these guys that you've never heard of. That's overwhelming. It's only natural to to you know go into a cocoon and say this is what I know. Therefore, this is the best thing. Um, and you know, it, it really you know it it took. It, I feel like this happens for everybody, just usually at a much younger age. It took something that Vince did breaking you to or or, or whatever. Um, to go find something else, and and so that's what I did. I just did it at an older age because I was a I was twenty when I found WWE, and I'm twenty five now. Um, so, you know, it was it was just uh, 
it was it was a bit later for me. Um, I was a bit of a late bloomer as a as a person anyway. Um, but uh, you know, I, I that that urge to to go into that cocoon and to and to think very narrowly is is very strong. It's a very comfortable emotional response. Um, so I guess just it, it was good for me to open my mind up, and I wouldn't have done it without you guys. Um, and I, you know, to, to, to be exposed to other things, to have friends who would say, you know, who can understand my taste. We haven't really gotten to what I like in wrestling yet, which I guess is a bit of a blind spot for, for the people who are listening to this and, you know, don't know me from, uh, from Joe Schmo. But, uh, you know, you guys, you know, understood my taste and, uh, and then, you know, recommended me things that I would like, uh, Walter Chief among them, funny enough. Um, and, uh, and, and I was able to, and then I started seeking things out on my own and throwing it, you know, into you guys and say, Hey, you know, what's the deal with this guy? You know, most people don't, you know, don't have that resource. Uh, so that is difficult. And, and I agree with Brock that there really is no way to combat, uh, what's happening in wrestling fandom, um, that wouldn't be counterproductive. Uh, Mm. so, so, you know, it is what it is. And that's, that's, you know. The, and 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 it is it is beautiful in a way like that you know it'll it 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 will go the way that it's going to go and and it's fun to track the evolution of it but I have no illusions about my ability to impact that um, I'd much rather tweet about Liverpool so <laughs> <laughs> and I I think we should also not have illusions about like our um, separation from that like uh i'm more i'm more active on twitter than both of you are but at the same time like we have our own tribalism like we've literally sequestered ourselves into a slack chat (laughs) make constant mention to and praise as better than the outside no it's so much worse there's like there's uh, yeah no this it is it is so much worse than you know (laughs) and it's like we have we have differing opinions within the chat to some degree but at the same time like we're all we're all friends we're all like-minded people on some level and and in like i don't know there is there is a comfort to be found in that tribalism but i think you have to recognize recognize what it does to a person and try to do your best to do the best you can now we've touched on walter's rise and we've touched on the walter 10 series so naturally i think it's time to get into the more historical aspects of walter and the one thing that i want to talk about as we uh wind the show down and really get into the growing legacy of this guy is Brock mentions his work as he's younger and looking at him and he doesn't have all those pieces together. I think Evan would agree on that. Um, So for both of you, where do you think you see the significant improvement in Walter? What year, what match, like what stands out to you as, all right, this guy isn't there yet, but he has the potential to be a really great wrestler. I think I'll, I'll take this first since I only saw the matches in that series, and then Brock can go a little bit deeper into it. The one that jumped out for me is, whoa, he's way better now, um, was the Axel Tischer match uh, from 2011, from, from 2010, the Chris Hero match, which, which frankly I didn't really think much of at, uh, at 16 Garrett Gold 2010, to where Walter is as a storyteller. In 2011, now it helps that Axel Tischer, now Alexander Wolf, is a phenomenal babyface. Um, Quentin, thank you very much for for <laughs> opening my mind to, to him, um, and that Walter is is clearly very friendly with him. Um, but but Walter has such you know he's he's not he's tentative 
in his earlier in his earlier days. He's unsure. He's not doing things that necessarily work perfectly for him. He's wearing a singlet, uh, which he has junked by this match. Um, and by the time he really figures himself out, and I think it's interesting that that coincides with his biggest push, that he's a guy who has always done better when he's pushed harder, um, is, uh, you know, some people f- fail under that spot. Like he, he, as Brock has alluded to, has typically risen to it. Um, he just seems so much more sure of himself. He's, you know, he's, he's not perfect yet. He's still not a great striker, which will eventually become his hallmark. Um, and, but, but, but by the time you're into 2013 with like the hot and spicy match and he says it, you know, it doesn't, he'd realize it doesn't matter that the execution wasn't great. Um, we had them and, and we were telling a story and, and that, you know, you alluded to how he, he picked that up at such a young age that, 2011, he kind of gets it, and then by 2013, but in that part of the series, I saw him become close to fully realized, and then Rinkomp is where he really shines, and you can tell he's he's found the role for him, the passion of his career, and uh, you get into like the 16 karat gold tournament in 2017, and and to me the guy is is that that's an all time great run, and the match with Ilya, as I mentioned, I think is one of the best matches I have ever seen. Uh, I, I would be blown away if I watched anything from 2017 that would top that as a match of the year. And it very well might be my match of the year for this year if I were, if it had happened this year too. So, um, you know, with, with the almost a thousand matches I've watched this year now. So, uh, I mean, to, to me, that's the, the ring comp Walter is a level above everything else. I would echo some of what, uh, Evan said here especially in regards to that hot and spicy match from 2013. I think that tag stuff he's doing in 2013 with his partner, Robert Dreisker, um, currently the avalanche um, is really great stuff. Like starting from uh, the 16 carat match against Jay Skillet and Jonathan Gresham, the team of rock skillet um, in March of 2013, all the way to November. It was later than we thought it was, uh, November of 2013, in which, um, the two of them are facing off against Hot and Spicy, Axel Dieter Jr. and Demac in Hamburg. Um, those two matches, I think, are stellar and are, are really what cemented him as someone who I thought was, like, capital G great in the current day. Uh, the first, the first time, though, that I think the guy, like, really won me over and indicated to me that, like, he really had it in him to be awesome someday was the 2011 16 karat finals against Sammy Callahan, um, which I know for a fact Evan hasn't seen and was very surprised by when we were praising it um, based on what he knows about Sammy Callahan these days. And in like a big part of that is like the difference between 2018 Sammy Callahan and 2011 Sammy Callahan in which he was on fire just like it's like a literal like different universe yeah it's night and day it's 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 insanity like he was he was just like one of the absolute best wrestlers in the world for a couple years there um and so sammy is just a big part of like what of why that match works but at the same time like i think i think walter does well to um play to the thematic inevitability of him winning the tournament again and providing hope for a people who by and large were like, shit, like it's just going to be another Walter 16 karat win. And it's, and it's something um, in my review, I compared it to this year's Super Bowl and how like cathartic that was. And it's really something that I think anyone listening to this should go out of their way to see. 
for me, I think when you when you've, you you can have a great match without being a great wrestler yet. Sure, that's something we should talk about. So, to me, the first sort of great matches I see Walter have are with Zack Saber Jr. Um, for first one being um in Big Japan, I believe it was a uh, earthquake. It was in the wake of the earth or in the wake of the earthquakes. Um, in the early 2010s, late late 2000s. Um, so I, it was. I remember it being so like some kind of charity relief show that those guys were on. There is okay. So there's a there there was a massive earthquake in Japan in the southern part of Japan in oh, I think June January 2011, the early part of 2011, and they mm-hmm. did subsequently have a benefit show for Japan. Yes. Yeah, so I, I, I believe one of their um, best matches together uh, happens around that time. I mean, they ha- and they have another one in the early WXW, uh, not the title match that Brock uh, doesn't like, but I think maybe their second match together they had in general. But the but Walter and Zach, I think, are the first time uh, together. The first times where I think either of them are having a well, not Zach. Zach had uh, the Danielson match, uh-huh. but I think I think like it's like some of the first great matches for both guys. So uh, I echo the uh, Sammy Callahan Walter match that Brock mentioned, but uh, a couple for me are the Generico match that Walter has. That I know, I know Brock didn't like nearly as much, but mm-hmm. I was really impressed by it there. And granted, 2012, I think uh, Generico was the best wrestler in the world that year, but still, I'm really impressed by a young Walter, 24 years old at that point. And how good he was, even getting led by the best wrestler in the world. And that same year, uh, there's the first big Hamburg show that they have uh, in Zack Sabre Jr. versus Walter as the main event. And to me, these years later, and as both both of these guys have grown up, seeing how these guys work together, Zack is an ultimate spunky, fiery babyface, not yet into the technical wizard character that he would adopt uh, a couple years later. And Walter hasn't really gotten that striking game yet, mm-hmm. but the ch- but the chops still hurt. The clubbing forearms, the scoop slam, the, earth- the earthquake splash, all still there for him. And they put together something really special in that match, I think. And for me, I do echo that when we get to ring conf, this guy, I think he finds his calling. I think he finds exactly what he's been looking for. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the guy, like, we don't talk about it. The guy went through a few changes. He went through, you know, Big Van Walter, Big Daddy Walter, uh, and now just Walter currently. And, you know, to be, so some people just might be names, but that guy was very clearly looking for something and trying to find what worked for him. Yeah, and, he, and, he, and it's not like there were wide stylistic changes, but like his body fluctuated. Uh, he switched from face to heel with each of mm-hmm. those name changes. Like the, they were distinct. Mm-hmm. And he's trying to find something that works for him in all of these things. And I think once we get to early 2016, um, which is where we get to see Rincom forming uh, as Axel Dieter Jr. is turning on the Mac and wrecking up hot and spicy. As Timothy Thatcher is coming in more often to WXW, and as Walter has broken up the Zack Daddy tag team, these guys just come in at the perfect time for each other. And I think they all just exuded the same amount of 
smugness and arrogance. And all three of those guys found their calling in that role. And while I think, you know, it's all, it's a wrestling thing where, you know, while ring confidence is presented as, you know, this big sacred, we care about the sanctity of pro wrestling thing. There's all there. They're also filled with authority storylines and interference and DQ finishes in their matches. So for me, even though RingConf at its root is supposedly about keeping things pure for uh, what wrestling is supposed to be to them, they still offered, you know, the fact that they're hypocrites. And I think that gave a little bit more depth to their characters. Now, I think it should be noted that in WXW's history, they have guys like Steve Douglas in ours and Claudio that are the initial early cornerstones of the company. And as we start to get away from those guys, um, and we start to get away from pretty much like the deathmatch days of the promotion in general. The good days. <laughs> they had shitty deathmatches. Let's be, let's be real here. Uh, TJ was fine. TJ was good, but like they had shitty deathmatches. <laughs> um, but as we're getting into the era of Walter and Bad Bones and Absolute Andy being your cornerstone of the promotion, a Karsten back that will come in later. Hmm. Um, these guys are all really young, you know, in their early twenties, Walter, like just getting into his twenties as this is going on. And, you know, because Walter is so commanding and I guess, quote unquote, like mature for his age and a lot of the stuff that we're watching, mm-hmm. you don't really think of how young he is in the, at this point, but this guy is a baby. And he's a and he's the cornerstone of, the, of this promotion. And granted, this promotion doesn't have a large roster. They're relying on a lot of imports coming in. It's not big shows yet, although they're growing. And I think it should be noted, like how this guy was a cornerstone of the promotion so young. So even if I don't think Walter is great in two thousand eight and two thousand nine and twenty ten, I do have to keep in mind, like wow, like this guy had a lot that he had to take care of and juggle while he is still learning to be a good wrestler. Yeah. Uh, Evan, do you have any, you have any thoughts on that? Well, I was, I was blown away when I found out how young he was. Um, but when you watch the old stuff, you totally see it. Um, he, he has aged visibly a lot in the last like three years. Um, which is interesting in itself. A lot of travel. Um, and probably a lot of headaches with the kids at the Academy. That'll age you quick. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's, it, it, and he talks about it too. It's like, uh, the promotion was kind of fly by night for a while. Um, you know, and, and, and the guys who are, correct me if I'm wrong, the, the, the guys like Christian and Taz and, and the other people behind the scenes who are running WXW are not too much older than he is, right? Yeah, I, yeah, I don't think Christian is that much older than Walter at all. I think they all, like, are all, like, like Christian is super young for a guy that runs a wrestling promotion in Taz for like, he's sort of like a, you know, exec, like executive officer, like someone like he handles a lot of the day-to-day operations too. Like super young for the roles that these yeah, guys Yeah, don't have. let the bald head fool you. That doesn't mean that you're old. Um, but, uh, but yeah, he's, uh, you know, so there's kind of a youthful energy to the whole thing. There's a, uh-huh. which I, I like uh, about WX. I think they still have that. Uh, they're obviously a lot more professional now. Um, it's a lot slicker now. Um, you know, the production on the, on shotgun and the paper, not pay-per-views, but like the, the marquee events, 
is 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 getting really good. Um, but uh, but you know, there's still that youthful energy to it. And I think having a, a young workhorse champion and you know a young cornerstone like that kind of helps uh, you know have that vibe. And we 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 talk about authenticity a lot. Um, and I think WXW is a very authentic promotion. Uh, for better or for worse, uh, at different points in its history, but uh, but that youth, I think, is a big part of that. Now, something that's more of a Brock style talking point, because he throws this uh, term out there uh, as an insult or whatever. You know, <laughs> that's not that's not my thing. But as you watch the Walter Ten stuff, and as Walter has done interviews in the past. He's described his style as King's Road. King's Road being the late 80s into the uh, late 90s style of All Japan. And this is mainly a Brock question, but seeing a guy who, like, admittedly calls his wrestling that, and I don't think sees any problem with that, like, do you call Walter a cosplayer? Yes. He, uh, he, like, self-described. Like, there's no way around that. Like, of course, he is. Uh, whether or not I think that's a bad thing is a little more of a difficult question to tackle. Um, I, I, as we said earlier, I, I think it's corny as fuck to, to be like, yeah, man, I'm a King's Road guy. But, um, <laughs> but, but I think he does it pretty well. Um, especially by modern standards, by like a lot of, by what a lot of people would describe as King's Road style. Like, I think he does it better than most. Um, and furthermore, I think increasingly that becomes a more attractive thing to me in that um, I talk a lot about the wider homogenization of wrestling, uh, uh, a great deal of which is specifically stylistic. And as more people take um, different aspects of wrestling from around the world and just meld them into one incoherent to me at least style um that does borrow from king's road i'm not gonna deny that as that happens more and more and as more and more people fall into that i do find a lot of um i find a lot of appeal in someone who is so upfront about being a throwback all right i was just wondering because again we've had the discussion that personally i'm not comfortable using the term cosplayer cosplayer right as an insult when that's like people's actual like hobby right so for me i'm just wondering as someone that was like super upfront about it like would you still call him that or if you would give me something different but a fanboy would probably be a better term yeah. i i agree with you that like deriding cosplay f- to use to use this point is kind of shitty but like yeah like the core theme of it of of someone like just being so into a specific style that they're like i'm gonna i'm gonna try to emulate it regardless of of whether or not that works in a modern context or whether or not like there's like some cultural weirdness there or whatever Mm. um i don't know it's a tricky it's a tricky thing but i I think he pulls well yeah that was my question um because i don't have that context being very new to it is he good at it I, i think so sure like he annoys me, but like it's not like he's annoying me any more than the four pillars. And then know, is it a second you know? question? Is it a direct ripoff, or does he have his own spin on it? Because that matters, question. right? Like nothing's original anymore. But right. you can you you can take things that were old and evolve them into something new. Does he do that, or is he just ripping off 
early nineties, all Japan. And, and, you know, that's, that's what he's using to get over because it's an eternally, you know, like crowd friendly style. So I don't think he has done it yet. I think that he does have a vision in mind that he wants to have like a quote unquote, like King's Row style classic. I do think that that's something that he wants to explore. I think the closest thing to that would probably be probably be the Ilya and Star matches, but I think that he wants he still has something like that. That his he, stuff with see, Star is is, see, is much more pro style too. Yeah, like I Ilya maybe, but I, I think Star specifically. Like, there's so much of um so much of what makes those matches work is like the size difference, and so much of what made King's Road work was uh was battling equals and not in in like brushing off anyone who was below you so like if like Uh. if i was to choose something like i think maybe his matches with thatcher are closer like they have some of the trappings but like stylistically they're so different especially because thatcher is is more of a a a ground-based guy than any of those king's road dudes ever were um but yeah you're right like Mm -hmm. until until someone like I don't know, maybe he could have it with Jonah Rock, but like until he finds somebody his size and um, of his mindset, that's not going to happen. He speaks about preferring to wrestle smaller guys right. um, than, than wrestling bigger guys. And the closest thing I saw to it was the stuff he did with Sekimoto. Um, sure. I don't know if that's the same style, but it was very much two huge guys running into each other and screaming at each other, trying to knock each other over. Um, yeah. And Walter does that with littler guys, which is what sets him apart. He doesn't treat any of his opponents any differently. He's going to try to kill you no matter what. Um, so he does that with Star, but you know he also then takes a lot of their offense. So I don't know if it's I, – I, I'm asking, I, yeah, I guess if it's, if it's the same thing or not. I guess um, now that I've thought about it, while Ilya and Thatcher may be the more like best recent examples, I'd probably point to something like um, Walter's – 2016 match with uh, Chris Hero in Super Strong Style 16 as like if he was to have like this big King's Row style epic where it's more equals than having someone that's like noticeably smaller than him like work up uh-huh. that that would probably be the match now that, now that I think about it but a lot of what I brought this up is that while we have a guy that admittedly borrows from uh, the King King's Road All Japan and um, admittedly like, talks about how big an uh, influence Daisuke, Daisuke Sekimoto and his and his philosophy on wrestling has impacted him. There's a guy like Will Ospreay that will found the found a promotion called Frontline Puro and get killed for it. And granted, it's because like Osprey is a little bit more vocal. I think that's he's entirely been, why he's been fa- Osprey is abrasive. He's been, he's been fa- yeah, and he's been and he's been famous longer. But I was just like trying to see like you know. We got to stay on the fact that like Osprey has gotten like killed for founding a promotion on such a thing, and Walter has repeatedly talked about all Japan and Big Japan and the philosophies there being what he wants to bring to WXW in his own wrestling. I think there's two think, reasons. Uh, I, I think I think one of them is because Osprey is is abrasive and and has you know not handled pressure well on Twitter or whatever. The other one is I think it feels more genuine with Walter. Um, I think with Osprey, it feels extremely forced. 
I, 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 no one has Simon in our in our. I hate bringing up Slack again. Hell on earth. But uh, Simon in our Slack says this: No wrestler has simultaneously been as great while having as many shitty matches as Will Ospreay, because the posing and the 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 hero act and the, the hood and the cape and all the nonsense. Like, I mean, that's 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 what people don't like. That's what is abrasive about him as a wrestler. And I think when a guy like that, who is so obviously forcing something, is 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 um is starting his own promotion, which blends right into that narrative, that's going to get killed. Whereas I think Walter, who is mild mannered and quiet and thoughtful, is also you know, is is much more genuine with his presentation. So that would be what I would point to. Right. So like, so before Brock jumps in here, I do want to say though that. Walter has spent significantly less time in Japan than Osprey, though. Sure. So when we're talking about like things coming across as genuine, I do think like I don't know calling the guy that spent like the majority of his last two years working in Japan versus the guy that he did some training. He did some training in zero one, and the extent of that is a few months. I think comparing that to what those two guys are trying to bring to their um, respective scenes in calling mm-hmm. in calling the um, more extensive one, uh, I guess, less genuine or coming across as less genuine, like feels a little strange to me. Well, I'm not saying it's fair. <laughs> That's just a right. subjective response to it. Oh, right, 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 right. Okay. It's definitely not fair, um, and I agree with a lot of what you guys are saying. But I, I, I'm I'm leaning a lot towards close. I'm leaning a lot closer towards what Evan was saying, in that um, I think I think there's like a level of uh, I hate to use the term respect regarding anything with Japanese culture because that that can that, that's problematic in its own way. But like I, I think there's like a level of um, of respect to what Walter does that maybe, with, I, I think maybe admiration might be the better word. Sure admiration would be a better word i think there's a there's a level of admiration and appreciation to what walter does that i think with someone younger with someone much more abrasive like osprey feels like um fetishization he's also it feels like he's stepping out of his lane a little bit right there's some there's some degree of that where like this has been something that walter's done for decades now and osprey has incorporated um has incorporated like various elements of Japanese wrestling to his style, partly because like, that's just what he came up in. But like at, at the same time, like it does feel less genuine from a guy like Osprey. Uh, Quentin, your point about like uh, Osprey spending more time at this point in Japan is a valid one, I think. But at the same time, like I, I would think, I would think you'd have to argue what that time amounts to where uh, Walter spent his young formative years there. Um, and specifically was like working with someone like Ricky Choshu, who is very much of the old school mentality. And Osprey likewise has spent young formative um, years. Yeah, I'm not like, to say Osprey comes in to New Japan. He debuts when he's 23. Yeah, but at the same time, like that's a very different Japanese wrestling scene in a very different promotion from uh, Zero One, which was like a throwback promotion itself, and was helped ran by guys like Ricky Choshu and Shinjiro Otani and like older people, you know, like it's a, I think that comes from a different, I think that comes from a different source and they've done different things with that. Um, and, and specifically, and specifically 
Um, Walter describes his style as King's Road, and he's not calling WXW a Pearl Fed. And he's not calling it strong style. Yeah, you know what I mean yeah. that that that's another thing. Yeah, it's an, it's part of that authenticity, that forced branding that people can see right through. You know, I think that's a, that's a big part of it. WXW has its own identity. Um, right. I think Osprey is still searching for his. Um. So again, so like to respond to what Brock is saying, though, is that it almost in a way, and I'm not sure that's what you meant. You're trying to shape it as well. Brock, like that Walter learned Japanese wrestling the right way. And like sure, shit, like, yeah, uh, like that's uh, what it comes down to. Like, You're like I think totally that, like, right. Like I think that's how we like you were trying to phrase it. And again, yeah. like I guess like the way I am, like I don't think that's fair. Because granted, like time and place, you uh-huh. know, if Osprey came up in what 2011 New Japan, he, of course, like he's an adult, he's a, he's in a totally different world too. Totally. So like he's coming in in a totally different and changed environment. So I guess personally, like I don't think like doing the Osprey learn, like Walter learned from Ricky Choshu and Shijiro Otani. So he did it the right way as to where, where Osprey was already a sought after name in the world. Well, that's, getting... a, that's another thing is like Walter specifically came over to train and he, he says in, in the WXW series, the, the 10 series that like he didn't do nearly so much training as the, as the junior guys did, but mm-hmm. he came there as a young guy looking to get experience and to, to, to get in with their system. Whereas Osprey was someone that new Japan sought out for yeah. what he did differently. Mm-hmm. And like, it's, it's not like he was spending time at the dojo with, with a Dave Finley or something, you know, or, like or that's... with Dave Finley and juice Robinson and all the guys that like are on the roster now and uh-huh. have been champions or been in title matches. Yeah, like that's that's like that's a different that's a different thing. They're coming at this from very different angles. Mm-hmm. So that's some, just something I wanted to tackle. Um, as someone has been like as clear about his influence as Walter, I think when um we've sort of like briefly had discussions about people being cosplayers or whatever on our top one hundred and right. top one twenties, like this would be this would have been a natural point to bring this up. Now, um, to move on though, I think we need to talk about the prospects of. Walter's future, what we briefly touched on earlier in the show. Mm. And the reality is, is are that WWE's been courting him for months. And as he's working more in Revolution Pro Wrestling, uh, on the strong style of all the UK shows, which you can argue are they more Rev Pro, Rev Pro and New Japan shows, um, as those shows are getting promoted, Walter is the only non-contracted guy on the poster. And He's facing Yuji Nagata and Yujiro Sakahashi on those shows and singles matches. He beats both of them. Mm-hmm. He's standing tall to end night two by kicking Tomohiro Ishii in the face and staring down Minoru Suzuki. He faces Minoru Suzuki at Summer, at Summer, not, not Minoru Suzuki, um, Tomohiro Ishii at Summer Sizzler. You got me excited um, for a second. <laughs> um, I think it was going to happen eventually, but yeah. Yeah, I do too. And now the news coming in that he's going to be facing uh, LIJ of Evil and Sonata, Tim- Timothy Thatcher, at Global Wars UK. So, oh, and I should mention that in WWE's courting him, he's worked, you know, the, ac- the WrestleMania Access show. I'm not sure mm-hmm. how many, but he's worked one. He worked the he faced, one. And he, and he faced um, Adam Cole for the North for the NXT North American title on um, one of those... Uh, Evolve shows. So there's cases back and forth on 
where Walter has been leaning more or what promotion has wanted Walter more. And I can guarantee you that there's a bidding war going on between these two promotions for the guy. Oh, a bidding war, huh? (laughs) (laughs) No, we didn't make that joke on this version. (laughs) Oh, we didn't. Shit, it doesn't even work. (laughs) (laughs) But seeing as how, like, there's very clearly, like, some bidding going on for this guy who's the hottest property not signed any promotion right now. Mm. Um, what have you guys made of Walter's, you know, debt, like stepping his, dipping his toes into the WWE waters a little bit. And I think he's maybe gone, maybe ankle deep into the new Japan stuff. What have you guys, uh, thought about it and where do you guys think it takes him and where he lands? And if he lands in somewhere in particular, where do you see his, usage and ceiling being i who have on this show slammed people hot taking online i'm going to hot take online and make a bold prediction that walter will be a member of suzuki gun by the end of next year um i think he's going to new japan and i think he's going to that stable uh i don't necessarily know what that stable is going to look like uh i think zach saber jr is being positioned um to usurp minoru suzuki at some point um, my dream remains Walter and Timothy Thatcher going in as Rinkampf and joining Zach in a trio, but uh, I'm going to leave my fantasy booking off to the side and say uh, that Walter does join uh, Suzuki Gun. I, I think, like you said, Quentin, you laid it out really well. He's flirting with New Japan to the point where um, you know they've gotten their numbers off Tinder and they've made an agreement to meet up for their first date. <laughs> um, you know, whereas on WWE, he's he's kind of just checking in every three days on on the Twitter account and saying, or on the Tinder account and saying, uh, saying, hey, you know, uh, just uh, just chatting for five minutes. Um, I, I and it was funny when he talked about Zach's career on the Walter Ten series. Uh, he seemed to really be into what Zach ended up doing, mm. um, and and really, you know, you know, respected the choice he made, and, and also seemed that it appealed to him. Um, and I think that's what he ends up doing in New Japan. Uh, I don't. I don't know that I see him being a main eventer. I think that he doesn't work the style that they have gone with as their main event style. I think he will be used as a special attraction upper mid card gatekeeper. Uh, they may put him in the never division. I could easily see them pigeonholing him as okay. He's the guy who's going to have the, the eighteen minute shooty match um, below the thirty five minute main event. Um, and uh, I, I don't think he would ever reach uh, the main event. Maybe he wins a New Japan Cup and gets a title shot. I think he would get title shots. Um, maybe he's like a, a king of pro wrestling title shot on the way to a dome main event that involves somebody else. I think maybe that's his role uh, in New Japan. If he were to sign with WWE, I think he could easily become NXT champion. Uh, beyond that, you can never predict how someone will do on the main roster. It's just it's run by a psychopath. It's way too idiosyncratic and, and, and half-formed. Um, but he certainly has... He doesn't have the muscle the muscle definition that they like, but he does have the size, and he does do something unique that would get over. Um, so I think he'd do really well in NXT. Uh, in terms of, of the main roster, I'm, I'm not exactly sure. Um, but in terms of what he has said he prioritized in life, I think New Japan is, is, is fairly clearly the way to go. Um, and I, I do think that he'll, he'll have a run there for, uh, for a few years. Yeah. I'm with Evan here. Like he's expressed interest in wanting to go to Japan for a very long time. And stylistically, they're 
a lot closer to um to what he wants to do both in work and in life uh i could very easily see him coming in for like a one-off never title match or an icy title match whatever um I, i agree that i'm not i'm not certain that he could be a main eventer uh with their scene currently um not that i don't want to see that happen but like to me he's a lot more like a laughter seven guy like a kazushi sakuraba or a a katsuyori shibata um wherein he's mostly in the mid card mostly doing some tag stuff and every once in a while is going to get it like a big um a big notable title shot but is never going to be that guy for them i think stylistically they're just so far removed from that and he specifically is so far removed from what appeals to most of their fan base uh, especially natively um but you know like they they are not uh they have not shied away from white dudes they have not shied away from heavy dudes like he could very easily find some use on their roster and i don't think it's necessarily going to be what anybody wants so we'll be tagging with tai chi for six months out of the year sure well so pretty much what i've been saying is that i think what walter would be in new japan would be like the ultimate folly and sure. some people yeah. who don't like folly they'd be like oh why folly folly gets title shots folly gets to beat the top guys in g1 folly uh-huh. has feuded with all the top guys he's feud- he feuded with nakamura feuded with tanahashi in like meaningful feuds too uh-huh. feuded with okada and okada's rise back to the belt in 2015 um former intercontinental champion so i think and saying he could be the ultimate Fale, I don't think he'd ever win the belt. And if he won the belt, he'd be a guy where, like, he's being completely set up as the as a mountain to climb. Uh-huh. He's not someone that's going to have a long reign. It would really and, surprise me if, if he were to reach that level. Um, or even, he, even what Fale ultimately was at his peak. Um, because I don't think whatever he would be in would be as over as Bullet Club was at that at that moment. That's fair. But 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 yes, I think that's about his ceiling, is is mm-hmm. what Fale was at, at his his most pushed. Mm-hmm. And I think that Walter, you got to remember, like historically, like what Japan has gravitated to when they were bringing in foreigners, and that is your Hansons and Brodies and Vaders and your mm-hmm. Doctor Def Steve Williams and your Terry Gordys, like these big tanks of white dudes. And I think. You know, even Scott Norton, as if we if, if we were just going straight into Japan. Right. So, I think if we were looking at it from that perspective of Walter's offering something that a large portion of the fan base that still probably exists hasn't seen in a long time, they probably gravitate towards it. Just like I think a large portion of the fan pa- fan base gravitates towards Zach because he does a lot of stuff that they like that they haven't seen done in the company in such a long time. So yeah, you're, you're I, totally you're totally right in that. Yeah, I think so. I think together, especially that they could really be a force in New Japan because I think in some ways, if they were given the time and they were given the push, and I think Zach is going to get the push. You know, him playing spoiler to Tetsuya Naito, the New Japan Cup run, getting the Beato, getting the Beato Kata in the UK. Like, I think eventually we're going to get there with Zach, and I think if Zach catches fire, I think Walter could be right there with them. As his folly. Yeah, yeah. I think Walter as Zach's heavy is probably the most realistic and and the best case scenario for him. Uh, I would fear that he would get kind of lost in the shuffle of the other Suzuki Gun guys. 
um, mm. and would be one of those guys. I mean, they have so many acts on that roster that just disappear forever. Um, you know, they just they can't seem to push more than a few people at a time, um, which is true of all the big companies. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, but you know, Zach definitely is is I think has a higher ceiling. And with Suzuki now over fifty, I'm just very curious to see where that goes. Um, I think Zach is being positioned as sort of the Jay White of that stable. Um, I think New Japan is very close to a realignment. It feels like it's it's certainly long overdue. Is is we're get, we're getting we're getting like we've we've been like they've been doing it all year. Yeah, with Bullet Club, they're and, definitely building towards it. Yeah, we're like it's, it's coming. And yeah, it's I, we're, we're I think all three of us. I, I can't speak for Brock, but I know Quentin and I are resolutely convinced that Okada versus Jay White is happening at the Dome. Sure. And uh, so, so I mean, that you know, chaos is going to implode relatively soon. Um, I think Suzuki Gun could be very soon after that. Um, and I, I, could you see Walter being in any other stable? Maybe he's in Jay White's new chaos. Um, but I, I, I think the I urge... Uh, uh, to me, it, like the to me, the driving force is like Zach and Walter. Yeah, to me, yeah. I, I I can't see them resisting the urge to pair him with Zach, and I think that would be the right decision. Yeah. So, as the European scene for the last, I'll give it four years, has really taken a life of its own, and promotion after promotion is thriving, and we've seen star after star after star emerge from the scene. Um, where do you place? Walter among the European scenes boom in the last four years. Now, granted, like WXW's popularity or surge of popularity has been a little bit more recent than, say, Progresses or Rev Pros. Uh huh. But I think when you're looking at the importance of guys, uh, where do you place Walter among what the Europe, what the European scene has gotten to do in? This, Doug, this second part will be more of a question to Brock, you know, the best European wrestlers ever. Uh, Evan, how about you start us off? Yeah, right? tackle the I think for right now, looking at if you just took a snapshot right now, he's number one. Um, he's progress champion. He's OTT champion. So he's the champion of the two biggest feds in the either England or Ireland. And he is the franchise of WXW. So he's the main guy in, in the biggest promotion in Germany. So, I mean, from, from that perspective, uh, he, is, he is the most pushed act on the continent. Um, he is the most important to the biggest number of, of companies. And I think with Zack Sabre Jr. sort of um, vacating that role uh, to, to sign a, a more involved deal with New Japan, uh, that Walter has stepped into that spot. Um, I can't speak to that from a historical context, but, uh, but to me, he's also, I mean, like I said, he's... I'm in on the idea that he's the consensus wrestler of the year. I'm, I'm, I, I think he has, from a, both a volume and a quality perspective, been uh, and a consistency perspective and an aura. I, I think he has been head and shoulders the only guy in the world having a, a truly well-rounded great year um, that you could defend from a from like a, a volume and, and like a, a, a I don't want to say objective, but you know a, a, a an evidence-based case. Um, that, that he's having a, a truly great year um, that would be difficult to poke a ton of holes in, although he would certainly try. Uh, but uh, but, but there, there isn't anybody else in Europe now with, with Zack Sabre Jr. stepping out uh, that, that has that spot. The British Strong Style guys uh, are not in that spot for me. Um, the ties to WWE sort of limit that. 
Uh, Tyler Bate would be the closest from a quality perspective. I think Pete Dunn is probably the biggest star. Not probably is the biggest star um, of that group. I don't know that he's a bigger star than Walter uh, in terms of European Indies are concerned. Uh, he certainly is from a from a mainstream perspective. And then it's interesting to see Ilya Dragunov get a big spot on the Wembley card. Uh, I don't know if he is going to be so full time. But he's another guy that I think I could see stepping into that role relatively well, soon. Apparently, stole the show at Bola too. Yeah, so. yeah. Got, I mean, he and, and Shingo Takagi got got a huge, huge uh, reception at, at Bola, and, and he got very, very over with that crowd. Um, so, so he's a guy that I, I could see stepping into that spot. Although it's notable that they're putting him with Pete Dunn. Actually, more I think about it, um, Pete Dunn really is uh, is the guy that I think would challenge Walter for that top star in Europe uh, concept. And the WWE tie has a has a ton to do with that. That's really what, what got him over to that next level um, where the, the matches with Tyler Bate uh, in WWE that were kind of specifically designed to make Pete Dunne look good. Um, but uh, but he's right there. I mean, he's, he's one of the most important guys, if not the most important guy in the scene. Um, and I think he's, again, we've, we've, we've said it, I think it needs to be emphasized how new his career still is uh, as a as a international star. But he already does have a legacy carved out. It has, I think we're probably at less than half of it, but there is there is more to come. Um, but but I think there is already a spot for him in terms of European wrestling history. As far as where Walter, um, where Walter shapes up against other figures in this European wrestling boom. Um, it's funny, like I, my favorite guys of the boom have been guys like Walter and Zach. And I, I think they have offered um, important roles in their own ways, but they're certainly like not among the most influential and the most important people in this boom. I think like they don't, they don't measure up to somebody like a, a Will Ospreay, but at the same time, I think both those guys are, are just like flat out better than anybody else around. Um, they annoy me far less, which is one, one way. <laughs> That's I, your entire life. <laughs> in, one, in one way in which I gauge quality. Um, and I, I think someone like, I don't know, I think I'd put Zach above Walter still like Walter has probably like done less to really piss me off over the years, but Zach at the same time was able to win me over in the end. And I think has a, a more lasting amount of quality to his work, I think, um, Especially as it relates to like international work and, and work outside of just like this one singular promotion. I mean, um, you, even in Europe though, you like you look at Zach historically, and people kind of gloss over the fact that the dude is the first WXW Unified Champion. Uh huh. So like, even in W in Walter's quote unquote like home promotion where he's the cornerstone of it, that that was a that was Zach's home promotion for a while. Speaking yeah. from from my perspective as a newer fan, I would have never known that. That's not something that's pushed about him. It's not something that's ever talked about. Um, you you would have never thought that. So I, I think you're totally right that that gets overlooked. Yeah, and like it's some it's stuff that I've like written about with Zach, in that a lot of his early career is you know showing out against guys like Claudio Castagnoli in thirty minute Iron Man matches and Davy Richards and Brian Danielson and Masaki Mochizuki and Dick Togo like. And, like, that's all the stuff that WXW is giving him. And the only reason his WXW dates shorten up is because he's splitting time in the Noah Dojo. So, to me, like, Zach is a WXW guy, but because he became so 
worldly, people uh-huh. kind of like skip that fact about him. Yeah, and and I think I think Zach, um, while he's not natively necessarily all that important to the UK wrestling boom or the 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 European wrestling boom, I think he is an important ambassador worldwide mm. to that. Um, uh, like I think about the 2014 and 2015 bolas, in which like he basically put England on the map for a lot of people because um, he because he did it everywhere too. Like yep, you know we you know he did it in Japan. He's done it in the United States. Did it traveling to Germany, obviously did it in his, you know, native England. He's a guy that even if he wasn't around for every single progress card and every single rev pro card and like, everything like that, he was still waving that flag everywhere. The guy even now, he's, he's going to a promotion like White Wolf to have a great match with a, with somebody like A-Kid just out of nowhere, you know? Yeah. You know, it was a lot of this I talked about with Zach last year, um, you know, him going to Mexico and doing the stuff with uh, Negro Navarro and... Well, as I like in like the little tour that he had there, but you know he's a guy that takes everything with him, and what he takes with him is like you know that English pride, and mm. you know it's embla- it's emblazoned on his on his uh one of his jackets, it's on his trunks, it's like it, it, he, he's he's prideful in that. So I think that's a little different than Walter, where there isn't that sort of like. Walter is now like, from the country where he mm-hmm. is most identified. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So even like with Walter in like sort of like his adopted home um, of Germany, there isn't that sort of like nationalism and pride when he is traveling outside of it. And I think that's that's an important factor to talk about if we're going to be considering like who who are the biggest names, who are the best guys from this boom. Um and and if I was to say that Walter was number two behind Zach, I don't think that's necessarily a slight against the guy. Uh, where they fit into like European wrestling history as a whole is a funny thing. Um, last year, Quentin, you had me made like you had me make like a, a loose top twenty-five wrestlers of all time. I think and yeah. I included um, I included Billy Robinson among those people, and, and mentioned that I thought he was probably the weakest of those picks. Um, and if I'm if I'm like I haven't done a huge deep dive into Billy Robinson and I've, I've loved everything I've seen from him, especially all of his big stuff in Japan. But like if I was to stack up somebody like Zach or Walter against Billy Robinson, like maybe it, it just, maybe it's just a thing where it's like, Oh, I have more footage to watch and that weighs on me more heavily. But like, I don't know. I don't think the old guy compares and like, maybe there's some um, world of sport people that I'm less familiar with that Quentin, you would, you would go to town for and maybe put above these guys. But like, I think it's, I think it's notable that, um, that these people were able to build up a scene again after it had been dead or next to dead for so long. That means a whole lot to me. Um, it means more to me than I think someone who was like, just notably great in a period in which like they inherited, um, good wrestling in a good scene in a good economy. Um, so what I will say here is that like a lot of this is going to come down to like what we actually have. Uh-huh. And while I think like Terry Rudge and Jim Brakes and Zoltan Bostic and John Cortez are some of the most talented wrestlers I've ever seen, we just factually like have less to go off of, despite how much I might love the work. And if these guys keep going at the rate they're going, you know, Zach and like Zach and Walter are going to have more you know, great, very yeah. good matches on tape than all of the other World of Sport guys. Now, now you when you want to get to, like, William Regal and Claudio 
and Sheamus as far as like, you know, European wrestling greats. Mm. Those guys have more um televised and more available uh due to the due to careers on uh bigger stages. But yeah, I do agree with Brock's point in that even beyond the fact that we have more footage of these guys, I really do admire the fact that these guys had to build what they had. These guys had to work from it. These these guys had to work from the dirt. And, you know, regardless of like how, you know, professional these guys look now mm-hmm. and how polished these guys are now, these guys came from nothing. These guys came from working in front of 20, 30 people in bars and people and people you know, using slurs and cursing and being belligerent. And they were able to turn their respective scenes in the respectable, professional-looking um, hotbeds for wrestling. And I think when you've accomplished such a thing that does give you more points than someone that was, you know, just having good matches and just, like, being, like, a good wrestler at that point in time. And... To me, like I think, like like per, like personally, I I would already have Walter and Zach as two of the hundred best wrestlers of all time if I made a GWE list, sure. just because of like how much I've seen from both guys. Granted, I'd have Zach higher, but I would still have Walter make my list. And I think for me, you know, the story of European wrestling like clearly isn't finished yet. Like there's gonna be more and more and more and more and more years to come of this. Hopefully, um. I don't I don't foresee it crashing any anytime soon, especially as um the United States is trying to rebuild itself at the moment right now too. Uh-huh. So I think as these guys continue to uh you know they're both thirty one or thirty thirty one right now. Thereabouts, yeah. Yeah, they're about to, they're about the same age, and as these guys continue to just have great matches, I think simultaneously they're gonna keep climbing and keep climbing and. Because you know, like you know, Tyler Bate, Pete Dunne, like they're gonna do that. Like hopefully, they get their chances in WWE. They get the chances to be great. Who knows how fruitful that winds up being? But if we were just going based off the opportunities those four guys have gotten, I would bet my money on Zack Saber Jr. and and uh and Walter over Pete Dunne and Tyler Bate for who are going to be like the defining European wrestlers of this era and maybe ever. Uh-huh. I'll ask you guys a question then. Um, I know there's a, there's a tendency first to have recency bias and then to try and fight that by downplaying what's going on right now. But is this the best time from a, from a, from an in-ring match quality wrestler talent perspective? Because we could go on all day about the booking in Europe. But is this the best time for, 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 a wrestler talent in ring perspective in the history of this scene. Because when you talk about Walter and Zach as leading, you know, this boom and, and if they're, if, if we're going to put them over a guy like Billy Robinson, um, does, is this from when you consider all the factors, maybe the most impressive time in, in the history of that scene, or at least right up there. I think it depends on, on what you value. Like, uh, um, I think about someone like a Billy Robinson and the reason why I would I would put him so high on my list of like greatest wrestlers ever is because I think he's a great mat wrestler and I love that sort of thing. And in and, and Europe and especially England have a long history of that sort 
of 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 wrestling and um there's still plenty of it today but like more and more as people move away from that as people branch out into a whole variety of different styles uh i think if if that's what you're into then yeah of course there's there's nothing that holds a candle to to this this period of time from 2014 onward um for me and my sensibilities i'm i'm I, i would probably lean uh older but at the same time like i i can't survive on bread alone you know so i i maybe i would eventually like uh side with the variety case and, and even and even then with it it's like with the great guys and granted like when if you like go through youtube and look at these plate like playlists of several guys in their matches and a lot of the um british stuff at the time doesn't get talked about for how varied it was because the stuff that john cortez and Zoltan bostic were doing aren't the same thing that the heavyweights were doing. It's not the same thing that all those guys were doing. And I think even with that, you're still getting, you know, quote unquote, like the same meal most of the time. So at least for me, and even even then, like I've said before that if I counted for like styles and being able to do like multiple styles of mat wrestling, that thing like Zack Sabre Jr. and Drew Gulak are the best mat wrestlers ever. And if I'm someone that likes mat wrestling and I've seen more varied mat wrestling from Zach versus what I've seen from, uh, I'm not going to say, like, I think it's, it's, sort of, it's sort of up in the air between Zach and Billy, but as far as like who's had more variety on the mat, mm. but if the next closest thing I have as competition for Zach Sabre Jr. out of guys from that era is Billy Robinson, then, you know, that speaks to how much a lot of those guys have done. And that goes, that stretches beyond Zach. And the homogenization of wrestling is something that Brock talks about all the time. So if that's something that uh, grinds your gears and you are someone that would have preferred the wrestling style of England to stay somewhat pure and um, in sort of a Lucha-esque way and not get so influenced by everything else that was going on around the world, then I can see maybe um, you preferring the early 70s stuff, late 70s stuff that we were, that we have footage of and that we have seen. But yeah, personally, I'd be taking this uh, stuff over uh, the era too and calling it the best period of European wrestling history too, especially just like admiring the work these guys did, you know, admiring the work that, excuse me, that these guys really had to struggle and fight from the bottom to get what they had. And I admire that these guys really had to earn their keep. Um, when European wrestling was, you know, sort of joked about and, you know, non-existent. And guys like Jody Fleisch and Johnny Storm and Doug Williams and Nigel McGinnis had to leave to go to go make a name for themselves anywhere. And these, and these guys that, you know, came up in this time, whether it was, Zach and Marty and Jimmy Havoc and uh, Mark Haskins like really had to grind it out in these dark times. I really do have a respect for what those guys had to go through. Mm-hmm. I think we've covered everything when it came to, when it came, when it came to Walter. Bro, I believe this is the longest episode we've done in quite a while. I don't remember how long our last one was. Well, yeah, the third person on it who likes the sound of his own voice. <laughs> <laughs> I believe it was two and a half last time. Okay. But 
I think, you know, for what we do with, with our wrestler retrospectives or whatever mm-hmm. that we covered as thoroughly as we could. And I thank you for being on as well as our first time guest, Evan. Evan, thank you a lot for uh, wasting your time with us. No, no thank when you, you for having me. Uh, you know, when you could be sleeping or playing with your dog or whatever else. Let's uh, be honest. I would be watching DDT. <laughs> that is true. Um, so Evan, uh, Twitter account, you want to plug anything you want to say before we, uh, sign off here? Yeah. If you like soccer, you can, <laughs> you can follow me at Evan L Weston. Uh, I'll tweet about soccer quite a bit. Um, or occasionally my frustrations with, uh, with the green Bay Packers who continue to, uh, to force me into emotional conniptions every Sunday, despite my ability or my, my desire to stay detached. Um, but Evan L Weston, uh, with an O not like the hotel, uh, or else I wouldn't have to worry about money. Um, but yeah, that's, that's all I have. Uh, Brock, anything you want to plug? Obviously you've been quite the busy person, uh, Mm. the last few days on Brock hates wrestling. Yeah, so uh, you can find me on Twitter at NotBrockYonke. That's spelled N-O-T-B-R-O-C-K-J-A-H-N-K-E. And as Quentin alluded to, I have a blog on WordPress entitled Brock Hates Wrestling, uh, wherein I talk about a thing I actually love quite a lot, uh, but have often found myself frustrated by. Uh, recently, uh, the three of us, as well as some other members of our Slack chat, have been embarking on something of a book club in which we've been watching in order uh, the matches between Hiroshi Tanahashi and Kazuchika Okada in preparation for their upcoming match at uh, Destruction in uh, which city is it? Nagoya, isn't it? Uh, yeah, I think so because they've already because they've got uh, Hiroshima and uh, Beppu. Yeah, yeah, Beppu. Beppu. No matter where it is, it's going to get destroyed. <laughs> yeah. Um. So uh, we've been watching those matches and sort of talking about them a little bit, and I've been uploading my reviews of each of those matches. Uh usually on a day-to-day basis. Um, and along with that, I've got a whole bunch of other reviews recently. I've uh, gone through most of what I w- ever want to watch from ECW. I've uh, ran through some AEW from this year, a bunch of other promotions. Like I've got all sorts of stuff up on that website if you want to check it out and um, read about some dumb guy's opinions. Read about what matches are better than Shawn Michaels versus The Undertaker from sure. WrestleMania 25. I want to so second block Brock's plug. He's brilliant. <laughs> He's absolutely fucking brilliant. He's a great writer. Go read his stuff. Nah, so far we've got, I think, 25 official matches better than Shawn Michaels versus The Undertaker, and we're working towards 1,000. So uh, if you want to read up on those escapades or send me in some recommendations of matches that are better, then Yeah, you know, definitely at so. Brock with all of your favorite matches. Ooh, bad idea. <laughs> 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 Um, and those are 25 too many matches on that list better than Shawn Michaels vs. Undertaker but I want to thank the both of you for uh, spending the time with me to discuss a really talented wrestler and someone who I'm very intrigued on where the rest of his career goes thank you all for listening hope you're here next time Nine times out of ten I get it wrong That's why I wrote this song Tell myself to hold on I can feel my fingers slipping In a motherfucking instant I'll be gone Do you want it all if it's all mediocre? 
Staring at the wall in the wall full of posters Looking at my dreams, who I wanna be I guess you gotta see it to believe Oh, I've been a fool, but it's cool, that's what human beings do Keep your eyes to the sky, never glued to your shoes Guess there was a time when my mind was consumed But the sun coming out now, clouds start to move Don't tell me nothing but the truth I'm tired, I don't got a spare second Win or lose, win or lose I don't keep count, nobody checking